Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Swing and a high fly ball headed for the monster. That one's got a chance. That one is going to go. It's a home run for our Swing a high fly ball deep right at the track, at the wall, it's long gone for Gorman. The Cardinals have been counter-punching all night. Maybe that's the knockout blow in game one. Ground ball toward third. No player at second. Peg to first and the Cardinals win it. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Oh, it feels so good to hear Chip Carey on a Monday morning as the Cardinals pull off the sweep this weekend against the Boston Red Sox, just as we all predicted on Friday afternoon right here on BK and Ferrario. Alex, it feels like the Cardinals are back on track. They head back to St. Louis, having won six of their last seven games. They swept a series for the first time this series, this season. They have won back to back series for the first time this season, and they have now won five of six on that two city road trip in Chicago and in Boston. Alex, this team is starting to look like the group that we expected to see coming into the season. Was this in your mind, the jumping off point that they needed? It's a start. I'm not officially on the the Cardinals are back bandwagon because you've got probably the most difficult challenge since that Angels series at the beginning of the month facing you. And I know Boston was a much better team than what they took on in the Cubs and the Tigers, but you're facing the team that's holding that top spot in the NL Central for three straight games. You're back at home. There's a lot more elements that come into that. But how they performed in the three games against Boston and frankly the two in the series win against the Cubs Cubs, it was impressive. You started to see the slug appear a lot more, which is what we talked about specifically being important for this Red Sox series. And it wasn't just one player. It was multiple guys who came through with it. The fighting, the Mike Schilt, scratch and claw your way back into the game, like that mentality, that was Friday and Saturday. And to me, those are elements that can start to trend in the right direction. Now, the pitching, different story. Still very skeptical on that, although Miles looked awesome last night. I'm not there to the point of saying, yes, the Cardinals are officially back because we've seen this before, but this is a really good start for them. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say they're back yet either. I Really good start, five of six on that road trip, but two things for me. One, it's hard to buy in because I don't trust the pitching still. And two, I, those teams they beat were 
500 teams. Like I, I think Boston's frauds, just like the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're, they're not. A, they're not actually a good baseball team. They got the same issues Cardinals have. They got no pitching, and you saw that kind of over the weekend outside of Sale and Paxton, who are lights out. Their bullpen was not very good. Uh, the, where I'm going to start, and I and I know a lot of people say, well, they're worse than those teams in the standings. If you look at the Cardinals' record, I grade the Cardinals on a different level because I think they are a 90 win kind of caliber team. So. I look at it a little bit differently. I, I think this homestand is the one that I'm looking at and saying, hey, you play really well against the Brewers who are coming to town tonight, and you got the Dodgers for four games who are somehow good again. Dude, then, this is ridiculous with them. They just beat the Padres over the weekend. They beat the snot uh, out of the Padres. Um, correct me, though. Didn't you say the Dodgers were done? Yeah. I thought that's what we talked about in the offseason. Yeah. Look at their roster, dude. Look at their lineup on a day-to-day yeah, basis. Nothing on, about it makes sense You ished on uh, Trace Thompson, and this dude is just tearing it up this season. But, but this home... He's been this, terrible. He's batting 125. No, Get out the, of here. Who was the guy that you said? I don't even know who this is. I don't remember. There's a lot of those Outman. guys. Outman's been really good that for them. He's probably the National League Rookie of the Year as of today. But I, I this homestand's the one where I can buy back in because it's seven games against two really good teams in the Brewers and the Dodgers. They play well here. All right, I'm willing to buy back in. But I'm a little skeptical because with these teams coming to town, I could see where the pitching ends up underperforming once again and they go like two and five on this homestand that's I, I just my concern don't wanna, i don't want to buy into a mirage i want to see this happen for the next seven games i get it but there's no reason not to be optimistic at this point because the nl well, central opened reasons. things up for you the nl central this is what the teams have done over their last 10 games the cardinals have somehow gained a game in their division despite the fact that they were terrible for the vast majority of this 10 game stretch prior to this most recent road trip the brewers were five and five the Pirates were two and eight. Guys, they're done. Like they're I understand they're twenty-two and nineteen. Didn't they just shut out the Orioles yesterday? The, the Pirates are not a good baseball team. They are a fun story that for the first, you know, month of the season looked like they were gonna be gangbusters. No, they're Weird gonna finish happens. below five hundred. No, this uh, this dude just BKO'd the Pirates are winning the division. The Cubs are gonna be right around five hundred this year. They're a really solid defensive team. They've got decent pitching. That lineup is just not good enough to sustain over the course of 162. The Reds are who we thought they were. They, so the Cubs were four and six, Reds five and five over their last ten. Cardinals six and four, and that's somehow enough to actually gain a game in this division. The reason I bring that up is because Man, now you have a three-game home stretch against the Milwaukee Brewers. If you're able to, not predicting it, but if you're able to sweep them, you're going to be four and a half games back of the top spot in the division after the first 44 games of the year. If you had told me nothing else about what had happened previously, and you just said, hey, BK, in mid-May, the Cardinals are going to be four games back. How are you feeling? I'll say, well, that's weird. I'm a little surprised that they're four games back, but they're fine. Like, I believe that this is still the best team in the division, and if that is where they're at in mid-May, there is more than enough time to be able to make up that kind of a gap in this division. So, Alex, yesterday I asked on Twitter, will the Cardinals make the postseason this year? Just a very simple question. Uh, BK Twitter poll. Win the division, make the wild card game, or just a big old nope. Those are the three options that I put out there. I voted nope. 56% of the votes, or excuse me, 66% of the votes, two out of every three, said they're going to make the make the playoffs in some way. 38% said to win the division. 29% said make the wild card. And 33% said a big old nope. All right. That basically means two out of every three of you guys in this audience right now believes that they will make the, make the playoffs. As of today, I would be a part of that group. 
I would be a part of the group that believes that this Cardinals team will indeed make the postseason because A, the National League is so much worse than we expected it to be this year. And B, this division is exactly what we expected it to be. So there's two potential outs. The wild card is not as high of a bar to clear as it has been in previous years. And the NL Central is still every bit as bad as it was in previous years. Yeah. I think the Cardinals are still the best team in this division. I'm not denying that they're not going to make the playoffs because I'm with you that the National League has the top dogs and that's about it. I will. I'm yet to be decided on if they're the best team in the division because of what we saw in the first month. And now you're taking on Milwaukee in a three game set. And look, a three game set's not going to determine this Cardinals team. But the pitching is the part where I'm still skeptical that this is the totally best fair. team in the division. I think the pitching is good enough to get into the playoffs because right now you're fighting. And I know it's freaking May and we're saying this, but Arizona, Pittsburgh and Philly, those are the wild card teams as it stands. And then you've got Miami, the Mets, the Padres, the Cardinals, like in that conversation. Yeah, I, I would put them up against those teams and expect them to compete. But to say that you're the best in the division, your pitching staff has not shown me that you're the best in the division. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I don't know if I can say they're best in the division. I can see where they can get into the playoffs because I the, the tough part about saying that, though, is the Mets have created such a hole that when they do start playing well, they're going to take the Pirates spot in the wild card. Same can be said with the San Diego Padres. They're creating such a hole that if they start playing well, maybe they take the uh, who was the oh, Arizona, Arizona spot in that wild card. And, yeah. I, and I do believe that Philadelphia is a playoff team. So... It comes down to probably are you going to win the division? And and I don't know. I, I think Milwaukee's the, the better team. And to your question of if I asked you, hey, the Cardinals are 10 and a half games back midway through May, sure. what would you say? This is a massive series is what I would say. What you're about to watch over the next three days is huge, and the Cardinals really need to win two out of these three games. I guess my retort to what you guys are saying, though, is that as bad as we feel about the Cardinals pitching, I feel that way about the Milwaukee Brewers offense. It started out the year hot. They have slowed down in a massive way over the last 30 days. They are the fourth worst uh, offense in all of Major League Baseball. They're hitting 225 as a team in that stretch with an on base percentage below 300. And if you go by OPS plus only three teams have been worse than them in this past month of the season. So as much as the Cardinals do have pitching woes, the Brewers have those issues with their offense. And I think we all could have seen that coming. They, they started out hot, but you look at the names in their lineup and it it feels kind of like how I felt prior to the season about the Dodgers, where it's like this, this just isn't good enough. What you have available to you on an everyday basis is not going to sustain. So I do think that the Cardinals are the better team. I look at the Cardinals pitching and I feel better about the names that are in that rotation, even if you separate that from what they've done so far this year than I do about the Brewers. They both have issues and this is kind of it's similar to how I felt about going into the uh, the Red Sox series over the weekend, which was, hey, you're going to have to mash. You're going to have to be able to overcome your pitching liability against this team in a spot where offense is coming at a premium. I feel the same way about that against this Brewers team. If you're going to win these games, it's going to have to be probably like four to three now. It's kind of almost the opposite of what it was over the weekend. You're not going to be able to dominate against Corbin Burns. Uh, Peralta, the Cardinals have had his had his number over the years. But you're going to have to find a way to Mike Schultz at scratch and claw your way to victory against this We've team. We've officially turned that into a verb now. Unbelievable. I, 
But you got Flaherty. Yeah, I'm not going to really my I have a question. Was that supposed to be comforting? <laughs> yeah, are you confident at the start of the that next one? two days? I feel pretty good about what you've got on the mound. Just not tonight so much. It's fine. I think they're back on track. I think we're starting to see the Cardinals getting back to where we thought they would be coming into the year. It was a weird first month of the season. No denying that. But I think this is the team that we all kind of expected to see. And I'll say this, though. They were trying to give the wins away to the Boston Red Sox, at least yeah. Friday and Saturday, because I was listening and watching as I was doing stuff around the house. And it's like, I do something, come back. Oh, Cardinals lost the lead. I do something, come back. Oh, Cardinals got the lead. Like they were giving them the opportunities and, and you can't take away from the fact that the Cardinals won that. Yes, they fought their way. They shielded their way back into those games, but they also won those games due to a couple of errors late in the game but they took advantage of them like this is the thing that i'm not going to criticize them for because earlier in the season they weren't taking advantage of those same opportunities and we were critical of them for that but what i, mean, I think they were forcing the issue here this but, felt like they were putting the pressure on the red sox and the red sox wilted that is cardinals baseball dude but what i mean by that saw it over the weekend are those top teams because nobody is going to be saying that boston's going to be one of the top teams in the american league one of against those top teams do they allow those cardinals these opportunities to get back in that's where i'm skeptical because i don't know if they can probably not but like yesterday's game the cardinals just beat them the cardinals just beat the hell out of the boston red sox yesterday that's the kind of win that i would expect to see against a quality opponent i would also add this what we saw on saturday where you're going up against a guy who was just dominant for eight innings in chris sale he was awesome in that game he had his best possible stuff and you found a way to get to their bullpen. Like, that's the kind of thing that I do think is translatable against the quality. Well, opponents. that was just bad management for the Red Sox. Maybe yeah. it was. He had 110 pitches and yeah. he had never he hadn't gone past that in like five years. But Don't T-Bone care. was over here saying, oh, they made a mistake by well, going go, to Kinley Jansen and all-star hey, closer. You okay. go with your gut. Yeah. They Edward, win that game. Edward Scissorhands would have just sliced his way through that lineup one more inning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my, my concern, though, to your point on what the Brewers are, because I think both teams have very low, like, ceilings. Like, I, I think both the Brewers, Cardinals, whoever the hell wins the division. Cardinals could still win 90 games. I, I think whoever wins the division is a team that's getting bounced in the first round. Like, that's where I am. I, these teams have what? low ceilings. Like, who are the teams Man, that are just dominating uh, the sport right the teams now? Are, these teams have low ceilings. Like, Atlanta is a team that I would look sure. at, and though they have Atlanta's their great. issues. You got I, another team the, that's the, the Dodgers are playing really well, and the Dodgers have legitimate pitching. They've got three studs in their rotation. Man, I just want to live do, in the Dodgers this weekend. They what, they are a good what's baseball it like team. in your fantasy world? Like, I, uh, is it just always? I, I mean, Sunshine I just don't know how you can look at this Dodgers team. You're like, oh, world beaters. Okay, cool. They've got three pitchers. What else they got? Like you won a series against the Cubs and the Red Sox. Yeah. What have the Dodgers done? <laughs> wait till this week when the Cardinals get them. Just oh wait. That pitching. So, so what happens if they don't this week? I don't I'm have to grabbing. Are you going to hop back uh, off uh, that bus again? I'm yeah. grabbing this guy. Eleven sixteen. This guy. This guy is officially like off the bus. On the bus. Off the bus. On the bus. Wait. It's, wait. 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 It's so much fun living in my world. Let me tell you, it's great. I ride it, this wave. Man. It's going up Tanner and down. And I are never disappointed in our yeah. worlds. Oh, I have realistic expectations. Oh, I have realistic. I, I think they're going to win 90 is games. not expectations. <laughs> it's not realistic. 1907. You remember my 1907 voice last week? Yeah, now think about the comeback that this is going to be. Oh, though. my gosh. Remember, remember when we talked to Brad Ausmus and he said, hey, 2005, we were 15 yeah, and 25. Freaking team hey, had like five Hall of Famers on it. Did you see what they were? They were 15 and 25, right? You see what the Cardinals were through 40 games? <laughs> Here we go. Jump off point. I To the point of what he said earlier about the Brewers. He said, you know, these are the kind of games you're going to have to win four to three. I don't think this team can do that. 
are you talking about, man? No, they won four. They to literally one. did that on Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> we again, just but I, I don't think again Boston is a 500 team. I think Milwaukee's better than that. I I look at the Cardinals. They're not going to win a but lot of four three games. Why Their do you is think Milwaukee to, because, is better? Because I like Milwaukee's pitching staff. Because this pitching staff does not and their pitch offense, well. Their offense is. <laughs> Okay. It's terrible. It's like, okay. What are you talking so about, what man? happens if this terrible offense from Milwaukee comes in and lights up the Cardinals That's pitching the thing, staff? I, all I, think, my I think the Cardinals pitching staff can't shut down a bad offense like Milwaukee. I mean, Colorado did. San Francisco did. Uh, the Angels. All of those teams beat the Cardinals, by the way. <laughs> Detroit <laughs> won two out of three against them. They just lost to Boston in two out of three games. Like, Milwaukee has done nothing to earn the respect of anybody in this room Neither or anybody Cardinals. listening to this show. Yeah, other Card- than the fact that they beat the hell out of the Royals three games this Look. weekend. And guess what? The Cardinals are going to do the exact same thing just later be- this right. month. Now they just, just swept the series. Just They're because, losing to the Royals. Just because the Cardinals, we had expectations of, or not all of us, but BK had expectations of 95 wins going into the year. And they still they could get there. They don't deserve our respect yet. They're the worst team in the damn NL Central. 80 and 50 they the rest the of the way. in the NL Central still. You just wait. 80 and 50 the rest of the way. That's what we're about to see. Going to go on a uh, just minor five setback. And six and you're seven and a half games right. out still. Just go to break. You're making me angry. Coming up next, I'll tell you about the guy <laughs> that's going to swing his way into the Cardinals winning 95 games this Son year. Here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Swing and a drive. That's hammered toward the monster. That ball is a line drive rocket. And the Cardinals strike with two strikes, two outs. It's 2-0. Swing and another shot by Nolan. This one's going to racky tack off the wall. A line drive single for Nolan. Wow. Listed single. There's a base hit by Nolan. He's three for three, and folks, here he comes. Here comes Nolan Arenado. When he goes, we go, usually. So, um, you know, one of the best players in the game's had a bad month, and, and – uh, He's probably probably about to get blazing, which I'd be okay with. I think everyone would be okay with. He went went ahead and got blazing hot for a while. That audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. That voice you heard there at the end, of course, was Adam Wainwright. Nolan Arenado in his last eight games is batting 325 with an OPS over 1,000. And he has been the driving force, Alex, buying a resurgence from this offense. In that eight-game stretch, the Cardinals, as a team, are batting 265. They have the fourth-best OPS in baseball, and they are averaging more than eight runs per game, which would be fourth-best in Major League Baseball. And, oh, by the way, we should probably bring up their runners in scoring position numbers because we did so when they were struggling in that area. They're batting 285 with runners in scoring position over the last eight games with an OPS over 900. Those are outstanding numbers with runners in scoring position. They're finally uh, driving in the runners that are getting on. Alex, we had talked all season long so far, the first month of the season or so, about how Really, the the biggest driving force between two things, the pitching and the offense, come down to two players, Jack Flaherty and Nolan Arenado. Now, Nolan Arenado was a little bit of a different conversation than Jack Flaherty because of the recent track record. Nolan Arenado last year was a top three MVP vote receiver. Jack Flaherty really hasn't been himself since midseason of 2021. Nolan Arenado, though, came into May 1st with an OPS below 600. He was slugging 310 on May 2nd when he left that day. Since then, he has been outstanding. 
Alex, how much of a factor is Nolan Arenado going to be in your mind over the next week or so if this team is going to get things going? It's everything. It's everything for this team, not just this this next homestand, but the rest of this month, especially when you've got Cincinnati and Cleveland and Kansas City to wrap up, teams that you should demolish. If you don't have Nolan Arenado, you don't have anything because you've had too many guys gripping the bat trying to fill the shoes of Nolan Arenado, specifically where he's hitting with guys on and with the power that he provides. And guys have been unable to do it. You'd get certain spurts of individuals like Nolan Gorman here and Alec Burleson and Lars Newbar, which T-Bone will talk about him. You've gotten all of these guys separately. But when Nolan Arenado is doing what he has done in his last six games, everybody else takes that big... Okay, now let's play. I mean, look, Nolan Gorman with a pinch hit bomb that he's providing. You've got Carlson coming through when he's not been injured. Everybody chips in, and it looks more like a dominant offense when Nolan Arenado is hitting. So I'm looking at this homestand where you've got seven games against Milwaukee and the Dodgers. Just as Adam Wainwright said, if Nolan Arenado goes, that's where we're following with this, and it's spot on. If it's Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, and it's not just because I pushed back on that of, you know, if they don't hit, then this team can't have success because they need more guys to chip in. I still believe that. Even with these guys, you need more to chip in, but when they're hitting, it feels like the pressure is off the other guys. Yeah, I, I don't know if they can go four and three or better in this home scene if if this isn't true if Arnado's not back to himself. And I, I think he's there. I, I I think he still chases a little bit. He looked still saw some uncomfortable swings, but it's less than what we were seeing at the beginning of the year on that road trip. And I he's the guy for me. I mean, there's a reason he's been what, top three in our twenty most important Cardinals ever since he got here. It's because he's a big driving force for this offense. He has the most played appearances with runners in scoring position. And if he starts hitting with runners on then then the Cardinals can get to this offensive identity that they're going to need to win baseball games. So I, I think the only way this team can go above 500 on this homestand is they've got to have Nolan Arnauto, Nolan Arnauto be the guy that he was on the road trip where he's just blazing hot, he's driving in runs, he's hitting for power, and really the power is the number one thing for me because that's what was really missing when he was cold. If he's hitting for power, plus you got Goldie and Gorman in front of him and Contreras has been playing really well, it's going to be tough for anybody to come into St. Louis and be able to beat this team, including the Brewers and Dodgers. I think over the weekend you saw the clear results of what Nolan Arenado means to this team. On Friday night in the top of the first inning, he hits a home run to go up two to nothing. That gets that series started in the right way. And then later on in that game, he hit a single that led to the rally in the sixth inning. They started that inning down four to three, and then he ends up scoring and they end up being up five to four at the end of that inning. On Saturday, he hits the home run in the top of the seventh that allowed them to score for the first time off of Chris Sale. It's basically the only damage that they did the entire day against Sale. And then, of course, they end up winning that game by one run. And then on Sunday, I thought where that game ended was in the sixth inning when Nolan Arenado hit that single, ended up scoring two. They go up six to one. Boston at that point knew this game is over. It also allowed you to treat your bullpen a little differently down the stretch as opposed to what you potentially could have had to do. You're able to bring in Hicks and Stratton at the end of that game instead of bringing in a couple more of your high leverage relievers if you were up by less than that amount at the end of the game. Nolan Arenado is the player. For this team, we all knew that coming into the season, and when he was going through it the way that he was, it, it became one of those things where we talked for like a day. Hey, do you consider moving Nolan Arenado down in the lineup? What do you do here? How do you get him going? So on and so forth. The truth was, and uh, Ollie Marmel has mentioned this. We've talked about it. If Nolan Arenado was going to finish the season with an OPS below 700, this team just wasn't going to be very good. They weren't going to be able to reach their ceiling. 
if he's about to go on a stretch here where he does have a month similar to what we saw over that most recent eight game stretch, well, then the Cardinals offense is about to be one of the best in baseball again. And I don't say that as an exaggeration. The rest of this lineup is producing the way that we needed it to. I mean, Lars Newtbar, Tanner, I know you don't want to admit it, but We're not he's been yet. one of the best leadoff hitters in baseball so far this year. He's been outstanding, man. You look at his numbers overall, he's hitting 300 with an on-base percentage of 430, and now the power is starting to come in as well. He had two like identical doubles yesterday. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt is just continuing to be the same Paul Goldschmidt that we've seen from him. Nolan Gorman has been unbelievable, whether it's coming in late as a pinch hitter or starting the game and just continuing to do damage. I think Brendan Donovan looks like himself again. Now you're starting to see the lineup lengthening. And when you have Nolan Arenado hitting the way that he does, I think you said it right, Alex, it takes so much pressure off of everybody else to contribute the way that they're supposed to. They no longer feel like they have to be filling in for what Nolan Arenado is as a cleanup hitter. He does his job, and then everybody else kind of falls in behind that. I still believe that for this team to be that top five offense, as much as you need Arenado and Goldschmidt, you do need the other contributors. And, I mean, we saw that against this Red Sox team. It wasn't just Arenado, although it felt like it was him because he had those dagger of, of timely hits. But you also look at how well Lars Newpar played in that series against the Boston Red Sox. You look at how well Nolan Gorman was, Alec Burleson chipping in. Yep. This offense, and the reason that I felt like they struggled for so long in the first month of the season, was yes, you lost Nolan Arenado, but you had guys trying to overcompensate for Nolan Arenado, and then you lost them, so you had nothing. You were talking about one individual player who was getting hot at the right time, and that's that's the trickle-down effect, and that's in all of sports. Like The top guys, when they perform... Other guys can take a sigh of relief. We see that in hockey when Jordan Kyrou is playing well. Other guys can can chip in in that sense. That's what this Cardinals team needs. Just as much as I need Nolan Arenado to look like an MVP, can't, or yeah, Nolan Arenado to look like an MVP. I need those guys to have that sense of relief, knowing like, hey, they're doing their job. Let me do mine. From the three one four guys, do you think a more consistent lineup has helped them as well? I I really don't. Like, I kind of reject the notion of that. I know that some will disagree with me here, and that's fine. We can have a baseball discussion about it, but. I think Nolan Arnato was going to get better regardless of who was hitting around him. I actually don't even think they've necessarily had all that much of a set lineup other than the fact that like they've had injuries that have taken place. If Tyler O'Neill was still around right now, I don't think you would see as much of a quote unquote set lineup as we've seen. They're still doing the lefty righty matchups. I mean, you look over the weekend, look at them, look at the lineups on Friday and Saturday, and then we'll look at what they put out there on Sunday. It's a completely different lineup in terms of where the guys are positioned. Now, some of the players are the same, but the way they're positioned within that group is quite a bit different. So I, I don't think it's the lineup that's changed things for him. I think Nolan Arnato just got back on track. I think Lars Newpark got back into the lineup and looks healthy now. I think Brendan Donovan was searching. He, for the first time in his major league career, went through a prolonged slump and now he's starting to come out of it again. So I think that all of that stuff was going to happen and we attribute it to a change as opposed to allowing it to be like, hey, baseball is a long season. Guys are going to go through slumps. We had a lot of guys in St. Louis that were going through slumps at the same time. Alex, on your point about relying too much on any one individual player, though, like I think that's that's just the way that a lot of teams are. Like If the Cardinals, we saw this in the postseason and we saw it really in September as well. If Paul Goldschmidt and or Nolan Arenado are not hitting, if they go through a big slump, the construction of this team doesn't work. It'd be like if I'm trying to think like if uh, the Edmonton Oilers, I know they just got booted, but if they went through a postseason series and Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl were held scoreless, basically, 
that team's not constructed in a way where you're going to be able to go very far. It relies heavily upon those two players driving the offense for them. Same thing is true for the Cardinals. Look no further than the Atlanta Braves. We bring them up as like the model organization, right? A lot of their offensive success this year has come down to Ronald Acuna being the best player in the world. He's stolen 17 bases so far this year and has eight home runs. He's got an OPS of 1,000 and is a great defensive player in right field and is one of the best base stealers in the sport. Like That guy, <laughs> that's their offense right there. And they're doing that despite the fact that some of their players are going through a slump. Like Austin Riley right now is slumping a little bit. He's not the same player that we saw from him a year ago. Matt Olson has been pretty good, but he's not hitting for any average whatsoever. We're seeing Sean Murphy with that breakout season. He's come back down to earth a bit lately, though. Eddie Rosario has not been very good. Ozuna has not been good. So they've got some guys that are going through it a little but bit. But the only reason, and I was thinking Atlanta Braves also, and yeah, some of those guys are going through it, but you lose Austin Riley, who was arguably one of the hottest players in the first couple of weeks of the season. Everybody was already talking about him as an MVP. He's dipped. You get Sean Murphy, who chips in. Matt Olson dips. Ozzie Albies has been tearing it up. The only reason I bring them up in that spot is when you lose an Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, or if you're not getting that red hot performance, somebody else has got to step up. And what I've learned about this Cardinals team is when you lose those guys, everybody else starts pressing. I, I think I think the difference though is I think you need three guys at any given time that are like hitting really well. And I think the Cardinals had two for the most part to start out the season. It was Goldie and it was Gorman. Gorman. And you didn't have that third guy to pick up the slack, and so maybe that was a re- maybe that was everybody trying to like push to get the production that they were missing from Arenado. I think some of that though was just like Lars Newtbar is that guy now, mm-hmm. and he wasn't healthy to start out the season, and so they were searching for that third guy, and now they finally have it, and it's Newtbar and Arenado, and that's the great part about what we're watching right now. Now you got four of them that are hitting at a high level, and you can argue five with Contreras. Uh, and I'll say this: I I think that the Braves are really the outlier of all the other teams in Major Fair. League Baseball. Like, I, I just think their lineup is so deep that they actually, we look at them and go, well, hey, when one guy's not performing, they have this guy that can step up. When most teams don't have that, look at the New York Yankees, for example. Judge was awful in the postseason, and there was a reason they got bounced. That team was pretty good. They had some questionable pitching, but their lineup was around the MVP, Aaron Judge, and when he went cold in the postseason, they don't have guys to fill, and they're the New York bleeping Yankees. And the same can be said with the New York Mets. I think Alonzo's going through a, a uh, cold stretch right now, and they're struggling, including their pitching. I'm getting a little emotional about it, mostly Sorry, because buddy. I, I picked them Don't to win there. the division, which is a little, little uh, not looking great. Hey, look at look at the Padres right now. I was watching that game yesterday between the Padres and the Dodgers, dude. Their offense is going through it. Have you looked at what they've done in the last like ten games offensively? It's crazy, man. They've scored one run, two, six. That was a one-off against Minnesota, but otherwise, three, three, two, two, zero. Man, you want to talk about a struggling offense that should have a bunch of dudes that are doing exactly what we're talking about, which is contributing from one through like five or six. That's the offense. They've got Juan Soto going now. He's been hitting like crazy over the last month or so. But other than him, everybody is underperforming in that lineup so far this year. It's it's nuts to look over there and look at all those stars and see that it is not working so far in San Diego. Coming up next, speaking of stars, Alex has a couple that might be of interest to the Blues. Could they make it work under the cap, though? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He could even play, you know, middle six. He could play on your second line as well. You know, he moved up to play, uh, you know, the right side uh, of the faceoff circle there uh, on the second power play unit for the Lightning. He has a really good one-timer from that area. He's not afraid to shoot the puck. That's one thing you notice of, of him over the last couple of years is that when he gets an opportunity to shoot, he very rarely passes it up. So, you know, he's got that mentality. He's very versatile. He can play center. He can play wing. He can kill penalties if you need him to. He doesn't kill penalties for the Lightning, but, you know, he has that in his back pocket as well and he's got good speed he's a really good four checker uh he has a nose for the net he loves to get around into those dirty kind of areas alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon Kylie. that was eric erlinson last week talking with us he's a tampa bay lightning insider about ross colton who alex i think it's fair to say has been our kind of pet project this offseason for the st louis blues we have taken to him and that is our number one target uh all things considered given the price given the age, given the need of what the Blues have in order for this offseason. Ross Colton of the Tampa Bay Lightning is a 26-year-old center that makes a lot of sense for them to trade for this offseason. However, he is not the only center that is expected to be available via trade this offseason. The Athletic put together their new trade board for this offseason earlier today, and they had a few different centers that were on here. I want to go through some of these names with you, Alex, to talk about whether or not these guys make more or less sense than Ross Colton as an option for the St. Louis Blues. The first one is somebody that I know that a lot of Blues fans are familiar with. Mark Shifley, 30-year-old Jets center. Now, he is heading into the final year of his contract at $6.1 million this upcoming season. He's, as I said, 30 years old, so he's a little bit on the older side. However, He's a really good player, man. This is a guy that is a consistent producer. Do you think he makes sense for the Blues if he were to become available, he as makes, the Athletic is suggesting? He makes sense, but I don't see any scenario where it would happen because Winnipeg's not going to trade him to somebody in the Central Division that they've got to deal with. It's because, in my opinion, Mark Shifley, when he's healthy and he's dealt with some injuries in the past... He's one of the best centermen in the game in terms of face-off, in terms of offensive consistency, and a two-way player. Um, unfortunately, also the narrative with him is can't get it done in the postseason, which a lot of people in Winnipeg's organization, I don't even think he gets dealt. But if he were to be available, he makes sense. Now, he's older, so he's not fitting into the core that you're looking for, but he plays the way that you would want him to play. But again, I would put this at like a 1% chance that he would get traded to St. Louis because Winnipeg's not trading somebody like that to the Central. Also, he's expensive. Like yeah. he's $6 million right now, which is not terrible, but moving forward, he's going to be up there in price. And the trade is going to be expensive too because they're if they're moving him, they're saying like, hey, we're about to hit a rebuild and they're going to want prospects slash picks and Blues aren't going to want to deal those. All right, the next one up is Kevin Hayes, centerman for the Philadelphia Flyers. He is 31 years old. He has three years remaining on his current contract, Alex, at $7.1 million <laughs> per year. So again, a little bit more on the expensive range. And he's a guy that is a consistent like 15 to 20 goal yeah. scorer, but he's not putting up crazy numbers of points and he's just okay on the dot. He's a little bit below 50% for his career. Is this a player that you would have interest in? No. No way, shape, or form. 
um, he didn't even get dealt at the trade deadline because nobody was willing to take on his contract and have the type of play. I mean, Kevin Hayes right now is a third or fourth line player. Kevin Hayes has got some offensive ability, but I, I actually view, I mean, they're close in age. Braden Chen's a better player than Kevin Hayes, and you're paying more for him than what you'd be paying for Braden Chen. So no, this absolutely no way, shape, or form does this need to happen. All right, continuing along here. So far, 0 for 2 on likelihood. It's a try, though. This one I do find interesting, Alex. I want to see where you're at on him. Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's 24 years old. He is a centerman for the Winnipeg Jets as well, so maybe there is a question about whether or not he would be available uh, to the Blues. Is he hitting into RFA? Is that what his contract yeah, status is right now? I believe it's like the Matthew Kachuk situation where he has the RFA status, um, and if he's not willing to sign a long-term deal, it's going to be arbitration, and that takes him into uh, UFA status. So you're probably looking at some kind of either long-term extension this offseason or... And before you go any further with it, I would say no, because he's made his intentions very clear that he wants to be in Montreal. Okay. He's from the Montreal area. Um, and I also tag this one as like somebody who's had problems around him. He was the one that was flipped from Columbus to um, to okay. Winnipeg for Patrick Laine. Uh, this, th- he's, a good, he's a good player. He's the right age that the Blues would want. But he's got stuff tied to him, and it's like Matthew Kachuk uncertainty because he's made it very clear he's going to Montreal. So 0 for 3. (laughs) Let's go to the next one. These centers aren't pretty. Next up on our list of contenders for the Blues this offseason, according to The Athletic, is Nick Schmaltz. Now he's a center for them. He shoots with his right hand. He's a former first-round pick. He is six foot, a buck 85 in terms of his size. Scored 20 goals last year for the Arizona Coyotes. Plays about 20 minutes a night for them. Is not a particularly good guy on the dot. In fact, he played a decent amount of wing for them last year. He does have three years remaining. He is just 27 years old, and he's making $5.8 million per year. So all of that part, the age, the money, the contract, like that all makes a lot of sense. Where are you at on Nick Schmaltz as an option for the Blues? I I surprisingly like Nick Schmaltz. Now, I... There's a caveat that goes into this. I like Nick Schmaltz in the sense of he's my third line center and nothing more than that, because he could be in your top six as a winger, but then you've got a deficiency in the center position like we've talked a lot about. But the reason I like Nick Schmaltz is these last two years, you've seen a uptick in his offense. Like generally he's been 11 or 10 goals in his career with Arizona. Last year was 23. This year, 22 averages around 58 to 60 points a season takes penalties, knock it on the faceoff dot, and can be somewhat physical, but he's he's along the lines of Connor Garland in, in the terms of he's difficult to shove off of the puck. So I, I like this one, but I'm not giving up a lot for him, and because he's in Arizona with the Central Division, probably not going to get him. All right. So the last non-Ross Colton name that is available on this list. It's pretty simple, guys. Center. We've solved this word problem for you. Ross Colton. Elias Lindholm. Now, for this upcoming season, he makes a lot of sense. He's 28 years old currently. He's got another year left on his deal at $4.8 million. He is a consistent producer offensively, and he's had some career years recently with the Calgary Flames. Scored 40 goals last year, or two years ago, I guess. Had 65 points this past season. Was not the same kind of producer as he was when he had all-world players around him, but a good player nonetheless. And is very good on the dot. Alex, does Elias Lindholm interest you? No, because of what you just said. Had his best productive year with two 
all world caliber players with him. And what did we see this year when those players weren't there? A drop in his performance. Now, Elias Lindholm. Still good. He's a good player. Elias Lindholm is a 200-foot player. He's smart defensively. He's got the offensive ability. And look, maybe you put Jordan Kyrou and Pavel Buchnevich with him, and he's right back to what he was with Johnny Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk. But I'm not paying somebody who's a risk. Eight to nine million dollars a year. And that's what you're going to be doing, because if you're acquiring this guy, you're locking him up long term and he's not accepting anything less than what he's already making. And you can't afford to pay him anything more than he's already making. So I'm out on Lindholm. That's my concern is you're going to have to pay him. It's called seven plus million dollars per year. And you're paying him big money over a long term for a guy that you're not sure how he's going to fit into your team. And are you making the same mistake with him as a forward as you did with some of your defensemen where you're locking yourself into a solid but not great player? This all brings us back to, man, Ross Colton's the guy. guy. Like We can go through all of these different options and all of them have their warts. And I'm not telling you that Ross Colton's going to come in here and be Wayne Gretzky or Adam Oates or anything like that. He's not. No, you already got those guys in Jordan Kyrou and Robert Thomas. But what you need is a very specific role. You need a middle six center that can come in and play a physical brand of hockey, win some faceoffs for you, and get you heading in the right direction. That's what Ross Colton is, man. He's young. He fits in with your timeline. He's relatively cheap. He's an RFA this offseason. He's not going to make crazy money. He's going to get like $3 million as an RFA. I don't think you're going to have to give up like multiple first round picks to get a Ross Colton on your roster. Between the price, the age, contract, everything about this trade, he's the one to me that makes the most sense. He's me too. And I mean, we've made this abundantly clear, but the other reason why Ross Colton is none of those other guys you just mentioned can do anything other than center. They're centers. Ross Colton is a center, but can play the wing. Now, Nick Schmaltz is another one, but Nick Schmaltz is probably primarily a winger. Use him in the center spot, but now your faceoff problems are still an issue. But Ross Colton's a guy who plays third line center. Second line wing, first line wing, if you need him to. Heck, maybe you've got guys who have outperformed their expectations. Ross Colton's playing on the fourth line for you. But Ross Colton hits. Ross Colton blocks shots. Look at me talk like Jack Flaherty in third person. Ross Colton plays the power play. Ross Colton's got a one-time shot. And Ross Colton was only used in a third line role with the Tampa Bay Lightning and was productive. Also in the playoffs. What could he do with St. Louis? You know Craig Berube. He doesn't stick guys in one spot. He could be a guy who could do what Ivan Barbashev did did two years ago. And you're talking about having that guy locked up for maybe three or four years at $3 million. Imagine a better center version of of Ivan Barbashev. I'm not sure that he's going to put up the same points that Barbie did, not this past season, but the year prior. But just as an all-around center, I think he will be a better player for the Blues than Ivan Barbashev was. I know that's heresy to say here in St. Louis, but I, I think it's true. I think they're very similar players, and you've got him at 26 years old. And he's much better at faceoffs. And he's going to help on Coldness. the penalty kill, which guess what you sucked at last year? The penalty kill. He's going to help on the power play. Guess what you sucked at last year? Got a one-time shot. Got a one-time shot. I mean, this is the type, this is the piece that you want to plug into your team and say, all right, our top nine is ready to go. Our forward group is ready to go. Now let's focus on the defense. And this seems to be the easier path to get it done rather than try and figure out salary cap situations with other teams. Coming up in 10 minutes, Wilson Contreras, all he needed was a week off. Uh, He is officially back. He is fixed. We'll talk about that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. That's next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. 999-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. If you guys have any questions, go ahead and send them in now. We'll get to them as quickly as we can. Let's start with this from the 314. Hey, guys, how did you feel about Jason Tatum, the native St. Louis, and going for 50 yesterday in a big-time Game 7 performance? Is that one of the best Game 7 performances that you have seen? Uh, yeah, it was <laughs> the highest-scoring Game 7. Literally is. Ever. The best. So it's tough to argue against that. I think what's most impressive to me about his performance in that one was the way that he responded to his game six performance Mm -hmm. because he was terrible for about 45 minutes in that game and then found a way to make it up at the very end with a couple of big time shots for him and basically one game six for Boston. And then to follow that horrible performance up with this one says a lot about who he is as a player. Jason Tatum's a legit superstar in the NBA right now. I caught the second half of it um, because of Mother's Day duties. We, we had it on in the background. And I mean, watching him with those clutch performances and then watching him embrace it. Like that was the other thing where on the court, they were chanting for Jason Tatum and he was celebrating it. That was one of those ice in the veins moment for Jason Tatum. And I, I mean, again, it's the best performance you've seen in a game seven. But he's done this in the past. Maybe not the point production, but taking the team on his shoulders and carry them through a round of the postseason. So, I mean, it's awesome to see with a guy like Jason Tatum. What's great to see about Tatum is he's not just a regular season numbers guy. He yeah. he can play in the playoffs. He, he can take his game to the next level, as you saw in that series. Unlike that overrated point guard in Philadelphia, James Harden. <laughs> that, guy, that guy, that game went to game seven. I, I texted you guys, I think, after game six and said, and said it's over. Like, James Harden's not going to show up in game seven. He, had, he didn't even finish with double-digit points so i'd say you got too fat with confidence probably so i'm I'm glad to see that tatum can perform in the playoffs and he's done it a lot since he's been with boston i I think they're the best team in the east i think they're gonna wipe the floor with miami yeah miami's just i i think they're running out of gas i don't know if you guys saw a picture of jimmy butler's ankle the other day but i think it is ballooning i think he's been put it out that he's got like a three percent chance of getting past boston in that finals are in the conference finals could be tough uh from the 314 guys would you consider trading joel Embiid if you were the 76ers i would not absolutely i I absolutely would not when you have a superstar talent like that you build around them what i would do is i would reconstruct the roster like i i feel about the sixers the way that i felt about the lakers halfway through the season the lakers were a train wreck people forget about this now because of the team that we're currently watching that team was trash when we got to like the start of the calendar year in 2023 and then they completely overhauled the roster because you can do that in the nba their their supporting cast in philly has to change so what i would do is i would continue building around joel mb because he is one of the five to seven best players conservatively in the nba and then i would try to find a way to get a little bit more shooting and better players around do him. but i don't think this is mb's did i mean they did this with Giannis. i mean yep. they they saw they, they saw that Giannis was that dominant performer and then they said all right let's go get him a supporting cast and they got the big three with Giannis. and then of course they go on to win the, the uh, nba finals that year biggest yeah. thing was getting drew holiday in yeah there. yeah I, I i would move and beat if i'm philadelphia I, i'd blow it's it up I, I don't think it's gonna work in philadelphia Not a superstar in tanner's eyes though just no, a star. I, I think he's a great player What's but the alternative like you become a team that blows it up and seven years from now you're hoping to get back on track pretty much i, I mean that's why what, not just keep running it back but I, I think you're at the point now where it's clear you're not going to win with Embiid. 
I mean, they, they clearly thought that with uh, Embiid and Simmons. They believe that now in Embiid and Harden. Like, Why is he different than be, Jokic? It's going to be hard to get another superstar talent into Philadelphia. That's what you need. You don't need depth players. They need but depth you guys. You do, but you need another superstar with them. And I don't know if they're going to be able to get somebody else in there to help Embiid. And if that's the case... I would trade and beat. It's a, it's hard to get the superstars in the NBA, and, and I, I think what's going to happen is I think they're going to what I they're not going to trade him, but I think what's going to happen is they're going to hold on to him. Harden's going to leave. They're going to have a tough time recruiting somebody else into Philadelphia as that next superstar player, and Embiid's going to be a guy that kind of gets in the playoffs as a six seed most years and doesn't get very far. And three years from now, they're going to look at it and go, man, we probably should have traded him and got as many assets as possible. Yeah, to- could. I could not disagree with your take anymore. Um, why is he any different than how you feel about uh, Jokic? Because Jokic has got superstars around him, and Murray, uh, they brought in Gordon to supplement that team. Michael Porter, when he's healthy, he's a Gordon great player. Is a superstar. Aaron Gordon's a really good player. Here. Get out of here! He, he's way better than half the guy. Everybody on that roster outside of Harden with him. Get Embiid. out of here! I, I think Aaron Jokic. Gordon. Jokic had Murray with him too. Like they had a really talented player that was on a long-term deal, and Philadelphia had Harden. Harden, Harden, a good player, not a playoff performer, losing player. Sure, I, you know, I agree with all of that. Didn't like, he dominate though in one game in the playoffs? They've got Max, yeah, they've up one got time. Harris, like they've got other guys that are Blind every Squirrel bit as good as Aaron Bleepin Gordon. The reason I bring that up is because it took a while for the Denver Nuggets to get here, and now they're finally at a place where they very well may break through this season and get to the NBA Finals. They're, they're favored right now to get there. But it took a long time, man, and they had to find different ways to reconstruct this roster. The same thing the could happen in Philly with Joel. I'd say BK vehemently disagrees. Yeah, I would is, too. This is uh, the a nonsensical take. The difference to me. <sighs> God, God, just. When it's just when, absurd to say that you should trade Joel Embiid. When, when people say, Tanner, do you enjoy your job? I go, you know who I work with? Brandon Kiley. But no. do you say that you enjoy working uh, with me? I love Ferrario. He never goes, that's a terrible take. Well, He'll at least keep it to himself and mention advoc- it to his wife at home. Yeah, I say it in the car. You're advocating for trading one of the five best players in the league. Yeah. That's insane. Not, the other difference, has that the ever other difference, for a team? The other difference in the West there's, there wasn't a – in the East, there's a team that's going to be there for a long time, and that's the Celtics with Tatum. There's not a team like that in the West. I know the Lakers are there again, but, like, you could tell the Lakers were kind of on the downfall until they made the recent trade to get D'Angelo Russell in there. I, I would trade and beat. I don't think Philadelphia – you can mark my words now. Philadelphia will not win a title with Joel Embiid. Okay. I, I think that's crazy. I, I don't know how you can say that when this year we're watching right now and, like, the Boston Celtics were – a couple of really big Jason Tatum shots away from losing to this Sixers team. I, I just, I you adamantly hey, disagree. Hey, we heard. I think. When, can you name me one time when trading a top five player in the NBA ended up working out for the team that traded that player? Well, it's one it's time not, ever it, in the entire history of the New Orleans Pelicans. But it's all about trying to Maybe. re. To, in theory, what you do is you trade the superstar because you go, okay, our, our, we've reached our ceiling. We can't get to a title with him. We trade him. We get the assets. We and turn this thing around quickly. It's I don't know if it has worked, worked ever. But that ever. doesn't mean you shouldn't do it and it try and be that team. Does. No. Because you, if you do it, you're back on that spinning carousel of your Indiana Pacers where you're winning 35 games a year, hoping to get the next version of They're Joel Embiid. They're just poorly moved. They should have, they should have blown it up this year. Here. This Man, is I think nonsense. both of you have made really incredible arguments <laughs> in this take. up next, speaking of making great points, the Cardinals made a really good point over the weekend by putting Wilson Contreras back behind the plate tonight. How did he get fixed so quickly? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We all love each other around here. No, we don't. No, we don't. We didn't get this from the 980. Tanner and Alex, I applaud you guys. There's no way in hell I could work with PK every day. He's one of those people that just hates to be wrong and never admits it when he is wrong. Hey. He'll always come up with some kind of an excuse or rebuttal. Hey, True. don't feel bad for us. Feel bad for <laughs> the missus because she's got to be at home with him when he makes. I know better than when that. When she makes a meal and he's like, Kara, this, this chicken, I like how it's cooked, but you could have cooked it a different way. If you would have done it this way, it would have been much better. And nope, don't argue with me. The chicken. Chicken deserves to be cooked this way. He's totally that guy. You know damn well I do not speak to my wife that way. (laughs) If you don't wash the colors with other similar colors, they Mm. turn out incorrectly. You know I took over uh You know what? Just let me do it. Just let me do it. (laughs) That's the way that went. All right, we got to talk about Wilson Contreras. Speaking of doing things their way, the Cardinals like to do things their way, specifically at the catcher position. And so they decided, hey, for a week, Wilson, you're not going to be a catcher. You're going to exclusively play DH for us. Smart. And then over the weekend, they decided, ah, we're done with this. Wilson Contreras, you're going back behind the plate. John Denton wrote about this yesterday. Here's the quote that he got from Ollie Marmel. Quote, we felt really good about the progress that he has made. It lines up well for him to catch on Monday with Jack on the mound. This is what both Flaherty and Contreras wanted. They both wanted this, and Wilson wanted to be behind the plate on Monday. We felt really good about lining it up that way with all the progress that we've made. All right, that's awesome. It sounds like there's been real progress that has been made here. I'm sure there has been a bunch of changes for Wilson Contreras with the way that he prepares for the game. So the St. Louis Post-Dispatch asked Wilson Contreras, hey, you know what? Changed. Man, I can't wait to hear this. How'd you get back behind the plate? Nap and here's what Wilson Contreras had to say to them. It's really all the same. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think I had to change anything. It's my game. There are a couple of suggestions that the pitchers made about the target. Okay, I'm, I'm curious to hear what this was. A little lower, a little higher, things like that. <laughs> it's been really cool. Nothing more than that, though, really. I also love how he used the word suggestions. What? He did say that they, you know, they want me to work. They suggested this, which I'm not going to do. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. What, what what happened the last week, dude? It's real. It's a really good thing that they won a bunch of games. Like since they switched Wilson Contreras to Is it though? the because DH. Now you put Wilson Contreras back behind the plate. And when they start losing, everybody's going to blame Wilson again. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be like, hey, remember how great Andrew Kisner yeah. was at hitting when he was playing catcher every day? Remember our batting order where we had Contreras and Kisner in? Can I give you my tinfoil, Alex? I want to hear this because I have one also. I think what happened was this. This is purely tinfoil. This is speculation. I want everybody to know that up front because this is not reported this is purely me guessing on what took place BK's facts I think the Cardinals heard from their pitchers and their pitchers went to whether it was Ollie Marmol or John Mosellock or whoever said hey we don't like the way that Wilson Contreras is calling the game our struggles calling a little too low are because Wilson Contreras is not preparing the right way we don't feel like he's calling the right pitches with two strikes and that's what's leading to our issues with two strikes And Ollie went to Wilson Contreras, again, this is my guess, and said, hey, we're going to take a little bit of a timeout here. This is not your fault. You know and I know that the pitchers stink. 
but we have to eliminate you behind the plate to prove to them that they stink. And so what we're going to do is we're going to put for a week, Andrew Kisner behind the plate. They're going to continue being terrible because they're bad. And we'll get you back behind the plate whenever they're ready to admit that they are the problem, not you. I think that's what happened here. Can I give you in my tin foils almost exactly the same as yours, but can Please. I add a little piece to it? Yep. I also think that Jack Flaherty realizes the perception from the outside looks awful right now for him. You essentially called out your catcher and said that it's not making sense what he's doing. And then you put somebody else behind the plate so that you looked better and it hasn't looked better. And now we'll Fact it, worse. And now Jack Flaherty's thinking, okay, well, this looks bad in terms of me being a teammate. So let's get Wilson Contreras back behind the plate for me. That's the other piece in this that I looked at, which is why I find tonight so fascinating. Yeah, I, I think you're both right. I, I think that's what happened was I, I think the Cardinals basically said, hey, that, although what makes it weird is I is them saying he was going to the outfield. That felt very real to the point of, <laughs> hey, yeah, we don't think it's you, but, yeah, but hey, you, we, we really could use an outfielder right now. I think like, at the time, they just knew that was going to be the best way for them to get their best lineup so out there every day. So they didn't pigeonhole the defense, or yeah. the DH. It's probably true. That, that, and then Mo sounded like a backup semi-truck. Oh, kind of like this? <laughs> Here's yeah, Mo. That was Mo. <laughs> I feel like this has been the Cardinals all week. <laughs> With every passing, like comment that they gave to any reporter whether it was local or national it was a little bit further backpedaling it was can, like, can, ah, we're not sure when he's gonna get back behind the plate oh it's it's probably gonna be soon though oh, oh i'm monday monday sound good ken rosenthal went to the meeting with john mozalek and he's like so john uh so wilson Contreras, you mentioned being the dh but you also mentioned him being an outfielder can you explain yourself <laughs> yeah that's not gonna that. happen <laughs> they're not gonna actually do that I'm um, glad to see him back behind the plate today. I'm fascinated to know what he looks like with Jack I, because I I kind of agree it's with Alex. Be the same. I, I know, but, <laughs> you just but, said it. <laughs> but I agree with I agree with Alex. I I wonder if a perception will be built around Contreras of oh hey look Contreras back behind home plate. Yeah, he just won six of seven with Kisner behind. Yeah, and the plate. he just won six. Seven. If they go like three and four in this home stand, mm-hmm. I wonder what the narrative is going to be. I, see, I don't think it's I don't think it's think fair Cardinals to put it on Contreras. But see that this is where I push back on your tinfoil in terms of Ollie going to him that way. That's bad management, in my opinion, because you're backing something that you know is not good to publicly, I don't want to say shame, but publicly publicly belittle a guy that you're relying on to be a catcher for you. And now it hasn't worked out. So you're going to go to Contreras and say, hey, remember when I told you that we just why just say out loud our pitching staff needs to be better rather than pull somebody out of the lineup and say, well, he's going to be a DH so he can prepare. He literally told the post that he has not changed anything. I mean that that was a bold quote. Like I, I think uh, I don't know if I want to give him credit hey, or say hey, my, man, my tin maybe foil, don't say that. My tinfoil on that is uh, from the front office. Hey, we're gonna put you back behind the plate Monday. Now, sell this as you've been doing really well in preparation. Contreras went no, believe you, I've been benched for the last week by being the DH. So I want to hear who backs up the truth. Anything? No, yeah. God no. I want to hear who backs up the semi truck today after Contreras's comments yesterday. Like who who oh, speaks it's, today it's a, and say, well, no, he, he's actually preparing Mo. more. Mo's probably going to speak no, today. Mo's not going to speak today. I think he might. First yeah. day of the homestand. Well, he's oh, feeling after good. six out of yeah, seven, six yeah. out of eleven. That's ridiculous. I, I was planning to go down to the uh, to the stadium today, but I've got a we, we've got an appointment with the for an ultrasound this evening. Otherwise, I was going to go down there because I think he is going to talk. I think this is going to be what it happens. By the way, the Cardinals starters just looked this up because I was curious. Since Kisner took over as the everyday starter behind the plate, this is another reason as to why you should not 
complain about whatever happens tonight with Jack Flaherty and whatever happens on this homestand with uh, with Wilson Contreras behind the plate. They have a 4.8 ERA, which oh. is tied with Detroit for the 21st best in Major League Baseball over this stretch. By was, the way, it was all because of Kisner. You guys want to know who's right behind them? At a 5.0 starting oh, pitching it's ERA. It's probably Milwaukee. BK going to read off That's another right. cherry pick stat. That's have, right. Have you seen the stats of what Christian Yelich and Jesse Winker do against Jack Flaherty? I, I mean, they the entire oh, Brewers. They're really good. The entire Brewers lineup <laughs> destroys Jack Flaherty, but mostly when they're in Milwaukee. So, oh, so the Bush we'll Stadium see, effect's going to work here. what happens when they I come was told to that Bush was only Stadium. against lefty pitchers. Do you guys think they make a roster move today? You've got Trez Barrera, who has not... <laughs> I think appeared in one inning so far since yeah. being called up to the Has big leagues. He? I don't even yeah. remember that one inning. It, that was when they emptied the bench. Oh, okay. What was that Saturday, Friday, Friday night? I think it was. Friday. Oh yeah, were they? Yeah, okay. Um, but I think that was it. That's the only time he's appeared in a game he has not started. I it's mean, amazing. Andrew Kisner has been a literal everyday catcher, which doesn't happen anymore in Major League Baseball. I mean, Jordan Walker did have a three-hit, three-RBI performance yesterday. Time to call him up. I wonder if they bring up. Somebody Taylor Motter. No. Luke and Baker. Luke and Baker. Luke and is one option. Um, if Jose Fermin was like not in be, witness I, protection. I really program, don't know where he's at. He would make some sense he's for that. He's not them. even on the IL in the minors, but he's listed as active and hasn't played a game. I would go with Oscar Mercado. That would be the guy that I would call up because I don't know what the update is going to be today with Dylan Carlson, but yesterday he had to be removed from the game. I don't think it was super serious. Looks like an ankle sprain to me. Um, but if it's going to limit him in any significant way, I'd like to have Mercado as a backup center fielder option available for you, especially in a late game situation. If you end up pinch hitting for somebody, I think he makes a lot of sense. That would probably be the guy that I would call up. I, I do think I would send down Tres Pereira today. I would yeah, I, you have to. If you're putting Wilson Contreras back behind the plate, to me, this isn't a Wilson plays now and then for the next four days, you're going to go back to Kisner with Wilson. If you're doing this, you're going to go back to Wilson on a consistent basis as your catcher, unless they want to argue how great of a hitter Andrew Kisner is right now. So why carry three catchers? You, you're going to have to bring up at least a defensive outfielder because if Carlson's out, you've got Burleson and Yepes fighting for one spot, maybe two if you need Donovan at second base. Yeah, I, I, I would call up Baker unless Carlson needs to really sit for like five days or go on an IL stint. Then I would bring up Mercado. If it's just like, hey, let's give him a day, maybe two, I would bring up Baker because he's the hottest bat down in the minor leagues. And, and you have Newpar that can play center. You can put Burleson in left or right field and have Donovan out there as well with Yepes being that fourth uh, bat right now, or you can rotate those two. Like I, I think Mercado comes up if Carlson needs an IL stint or is going to miss like five days or something like that to bring in that extra outfielder. Otherwise, I would go with Luke and Baker. Coming up next, we'll play a game of in or out here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for in or out. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are in or out. My turn on the wrong mic. When we no, come on, on one hundred and one. Yes, acknowledge that. That was awesome. That was a great. That one. Was better than I, Tanner's. Believe it or not, guys in or out. <laughs> Nolan Gorman finishes the season with at least thirty-five home runs for the Cardinals. He is in. currently on pace for thirty-six. In. I, I. He's red hot right now, but I love the decision to keep him in between Goldschmidt and Arenado. I. I 
I like the way they're or, uh, ordering their lineup yeah. right now. I, I mean, I just you want to have the ideal situation for a second year pro like Nolan Gorman, who specifically is playing DH, put him in between those two guys. And when they're red hot, who the hell do you pitch to if you're an opposing pitcher? So I'm in on this. I think he gets closer to 40. Yeah, I, I'm in as well. I, I think he might be able to get to 40. I mean, he's just got too much raw power. Um, and, and when he gets hot, He's the kind of guy like can do what O'Neill did in what was it twenty one, but when he gets hot, he can hit him in bunches too. So I- I'm in on this. I-, I think he gets beyond thirty five. I think he could could get close to forty. Do you know how many players in Cardinals history have hit at least thirty five home runs in a season at Nolan Gorman's age? Hold on, T Bone. This is a BK game. I know. I'm thinking two. I'm going to go this field. Okay, well, Langford would probably be Pujols one. has got to be the other Pujols one. Pujols is one. Langford's always I'm got saying, one of those random I'm going to say it's two. Yeah, I'll go I'll go three. There's probably something I'm not thinking of. It's one. It's just Albert. <laughs> Albert did it twice. This son Nobody of Nobody else. <laughs> not only does he have an attitude, he plays saw games with us. <laughs> that, that's Let's amazing, right? Like, Nolan Gorman has a chance to do something that only one player in the history of the Cardinals has done, and that's hit 35 home runs at the age of 23 oh, or younger. Man, Moe's got to be drooling at the mouth right now to think that he can say, I got somebody who's putting up Pujols numbers. Also, credit to John Mosellock for not being willing to trade Nolan Gorman when that appeared to be the obvious move this offseason. I know a lot of Cardinals fans disagreed with me. But if you talked to any national writers, read any of the national reports, the guy that everybody wanted from the Cardinals was twofold. One, Newt Bar, two, Nolan Gorman. Didn't he kept both of Gorman? those guys. Yeah, I adamantly disagreed with him at the time when he said For that. For sure. I, I didn't say I would trade Nolan Gorman. I said I think that they're going to have to trade Nolan Gorman if they want to get somebody like Sean Murphy. And, and unfortunately for the Cardinals, I still believe that if they're going to want to get something of value at the trade deadline, meaning starting pitcher who can be at the top of your rotation, that's what teams are going to ask about. Probably. And you're not going to be able to trade them. Yeah. But this is one of those good problems where you now have two left-handed oh, yeah. bats in your order that are hitting one and three on a consistent basis, specifically against righties. I think I'm in too. I think Nolan Gorman's hitting 35 home runs that year, this year. That's that's a remarkable feat for him in year two. Because of that, I wonder if Alec Burleson's the trade piece that can garner you something at the deadline. If teams value him that yeah, way. Yeah, because it's another lefty bat that you might not be relying upon very much. Alex, what do you got for in or out? Uh, in or out, boys. I don't know if you've seen this. William Nylander has been uh, in the news a lot lately. In or out, William Nylander is a St. Louis Blue by the beginning of the season. Out. Hmm. I, I don't think the Blues are making the move for Nylander. I... I, I think they're going to go more the route what you got. We've talked about where it's someone that is what's 26, 27 RFA status. Nylander's going to have a contract that's due here soon. So I, I don't think this is a guy that the Blues would have interest in, though he makes sense. I think they're looking for someone that's got more like control in terms of RFA status like that. Teams in the Central Division that make more sense than the Blues for Nylander, even though I think it would be really fun if they did decide to go this route. Colorado Avalanche, the Arizona Coyotes. The Chicago Blackhawks. Now, oh my these God. teams. If Chicago gets Nealander to play with Connor Bedard, I'm my life you, is over. Chicago should be super aggressive this offseason. Oh, absolutely. They should be doing everything they can to support Connor Bedard with really good players right away. So I do not think that this will happen. I'm out on it. But the idea of it is super intriguing to me, and I think it's at least worth discussion. Like, I'm sure there will be a time, whether it's now or in the future, where Doug Armstrong is talking to his lieutenants and saying, does it make sense for us? Mm-hmm. They at least have to have that meeting. They have to have that discussion internally of whether or not they do it. But I would say I'm out. Alex, where are you at on that? I'm out as well. Um, and I know a lot of people, because it's the one that I thought of, would be to trade William Nylander for Jordan Cairo. 
Uh, one, I don't know if Toronto would do that because you're still taking on a guy who's making eight plus million dollars, and that's the problem right now. But two, we looked at this in the office before our show. They're about as identical as you can ask in terms of their first few years in the NHL. And right now, the only difference is William Nylander's 27 and Kairou's 25. Nylander got into the league a lot earlier than Jordan Kairou did. But if the progression is how the Blues are looking at Jordan Kairou, you might have William Nylander locked up for the next eight years at less than what he's going to make on the market. And a faster version of that. Yeah. They go about it a little differently, but they production-wise are very similar. Nylander dominated the second round of the playoffs. So even though they lost, Nylander was their best player on the ice. The weird thing is, like, as much as we talk about Kairou's struggles last year in the postseason, his numbers were really good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he scored 12 freaking goals. Yeah. The problem with him, though, is he scores in bunches. Like, you get a hat trick in one game, and then he goes quiet for three. But that wins you a game. It like, does. you can win a game because of Jordan and Kyrou in a playoff. But Toronto is realizing. Vegas, they won a game initially because of, uh, who was that had the hat trick? Marsh uh, so. That's right. Yeah. yeah. The problem, though, is when you have guys who are in, because that's what Toronto suffered from. Nylander was great, but Matthew showed up in one game and then disappeared yep. for the next three, and that's what put Florida on top. T-Bone, what do you got for in or out? Well, guys, we talked about the... Tr- potential trade targets in the offseason earlier at 1130. The Athletics Trade Board had Colton Preco on that trade board. In or out, he's the Blues defenseman that could be dealt this offseason. Out. I would out. be really surprised if they end up trading Colton Pareko. I think they're going to try to more or less run it back with the right side of their defense for next year. I think you have to run it back with your right side because that's the foundation that you're trying to build off of. The left side is where you need to address it. And then the other reason I would be out on this is because you don't fire Mike Van Ryan if you're going to make that significant of a change to your defensive core. You fire Mike, you you keep Mike Van Ryan if you're going to change the core and say he's the coach. I think they viewed this, at least from the outside perspective, as we're probably going to run it back with the same defense. Maybe we change something here and there, but we need somebody who can get a different message to these players. So I'm out. I, I'm out as well, but I do wonder if he's the guy that I, I don't think they're going to be able to move Tory Krug. I, I know we've talked about this all fair, like maybe somebody can com- convince themselves of it. I, I don't think they're going to move Krug. I, I have a tough time seeing them moving Letty. I, I think Preko is the guy that has most value, but I agree with you. I, I don't think they're going to move him, so I, I think they're going to return with the same defense as they had last year. All right, let's get to some of yours in or out uh, scenarios from the 314. Guys, in or out, Tommy Edmond is going to ride the bench unless the Cardinals are playing against a left handed pitcher for the foreseeable future and will eventually become a trade piece for the St. Louis for the St. Louis Cardinals. I would say I'm out on this because I don't see them using him or putting him on the bench because of his defense. And I think you're going to want that in there more consistently when Paul DeYoung drops off, because I am still expecting that Tommy Edmond shifts as as your shortstop right now. You're going to be using Brendan Donovan in the outfield. And if the DH opens up, Nolan Gorman's going back to that spot. So I would say I'm out on this, but I do think that Tommy Edmond could be trade casualty uh, come trade deadline. If you're trying to acquire something or maybe off season, uh, I'm in on this for right now because I, I still do think the DeYoung drop-off will come. And when it does, then it's a different conversation. But right now, I think you got DeYoung at short. I would keep Gorman at second base. And then I'd have Donovan in left. When Carlson's ready to go because of the ankle, he's in center, Newpar's in right. And then your DH is either Burleson or Yepes. So, hey, he's just not good against right-handed pitching. So, I, I think right now you ride him on the bench. And then against lefties, he comes in and he starts at second base for you. I'm totally in line with what... Tanner just said I think he made a really smart point there now it doesn't do it very often on the NBA but on baseball he's got one head or the NHL or um, NFL he's got a great head on his shoulders though when it comes to what the Cardinals should do 
Um, Gorman DeYoung, that would be my second base shortstop combination with Donovan and left and Yepes as my DH against right-handed pitchers for the foreseeable future. When or if Paul DeYoung falls off, I would change that. And eventually, I, there will come a point in time where you're going to need Tommy Edmond to be a significant fixture in this lineup again. He's going to start every day against left-handed pitching. And I don't think he's going to start very often against right-handed pitching right now because he is just not your best option. T-Bone mentioned it. His splits against righties this year have been horrible. Um, so I, I think that's where we're at right now. I will be really curious. I think that, Alex, you mentioned Alec Burleson might be the piece that gets them something at the deadline. I could see one of their middle infielders getting them something at the deadline as well. I would not advocate trading Brendan Donovan, but man, he's going to be valued across Major League Especially Baseball because now of that play. versatility. Yeah. So when you've got a guy that gets on base the way that he does and plays defense pretty well just about anywhere that you put him, man, teams are going to want that at the trade deadline. There are going to be contenders that are valuing that at the trade deadline. And there's going to be non-contenders that look at Tommy Edmond and say, we could use that as an everyday shortstop for us. He could be our starting shortstop. So there's guys that could be a value here in um, a few months at the trade deadline. All right, final thing here, guys. In or out, Scott Perunovic is in the Blues' top six defense next year. And I, if they don't make a move to acquire a defenseman, they'll make a move to open up a spot to play, even if it's in the tops or even it's a, even like the seventh defenseman. They'll open something up for Scott Perunovic. He'll start the year on the NHL roster. And you have to play him. I mean, he's an RFA. You're going to sign him. You're not going to play him in the minors because you just did that all season last year when he returned from his injury. You're going to start him and say, this is your opportunity. You're going to get a one-year deal, go play, and if you don't have success or you get injured again, then we're going to part our separate ways. So I'm in on this. He's going to be in your top six. So what's your top six then? Pareko, Falk, Letty. If no trades, it's Krug, Letty, Perunovic, Pareko, Falk, Tucker and Scandella and Bortuzzo are my extra defensemen. Yeah. And that's why there's going to be a trade. It's either going to be Letty Kruger, Scandella. I, I think I'm in on this because I, I kind of agree with that. You have to play him. You have to figure out what you have in Scott Brunovich because he's been kind of the guy that's been talked about the last, it's been three years now as being the guy that's going to replace Krug's production in terms of being the offensive minded defenseman, the guy on a power play unit that that's where he's contributing to get hit all his points. So I, I'm in on this. I, I don't know how they figure it out because there's so there, that's a ton, that's eight bodies that we just mentioned there. So, uh, but I, I think you have to play him. He's one of those guys that just needs to be in the lineup, and you figure it out with the other guys. I think this is entirely dependent upon what they do with Tory Krug. Mm-hmm. If Tory Krug is here, I'm out. And the reason why is because I don't know that you can have both of those guys in your lineup going into the season. I think both fit into the exact same role: third pairing defense, left side that quarterbacks the power play unit. I, I think that's the role for both of them. So. I do think Tory Krug is going to start the season here at a minimum. If I had to bet on one side or the other, that's what I would bet on. And I'm going to say I'm out on Perunovic opening up the season in the top six. I hope I, I'm wrong. I believe Letty or Krug will be off of this team before the start of the season. Coming one of up, those two. Coming up next, the Cardinals are reaping the rewards of holding on to assets that, to be honest, a lot of us thought they should have traded at the deadline. Or in the offseason, rather. What does that mean for Tyler O'Neill as he prepares to make his return? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Nolan Gorman is making good on the promise that the Cardinals had for him in the offseason. There were real questions from some, including myself, as to whether or not he would be a guy that the Cardinals decided to build around. When we were thinking about how they could acquire their catcher, specifically talking about Sean Murphy from the Oakland Athletics, his name got brought up a lot as a potential trade candidate because they love left-handed bats. Well, Cardinals decided to keep him, and they decided to build around him as a piece in their middle infield and a designated hitter. So far this year, Alex, he has a 930 OPS. He's on pace to become the only Cardinals player not named Albert Pujols at his age or younger to hit at least 35 home runs in a season. And he's not alone. The Cardinals do this, and we've criticized them for it in times as well, of keeping on, holding on to assets maybe longer than most would. Lars Newtbar, he was a guy that some advocated this offseason to trade oh. while his value was still high. Oh. He's now slashing 300 oh. as a batting average, 430 as an on-base percentage, and 450 as a slugging percentage. He's on pace this year, despite missing a good portion of the beginning of the year, to have 20 stolen bases and 15 home runs. But what's his ground ball rate? 60%. Yeah. That is uh, something that he needs to improve Center upon. Of the minors. It's getting better, uh, but it is something that he definitely needs to improve on, and I think you will see that slugging percentage continue to increase as he does. Paul DeYoung hitting 310 this year with an OPS of 950. All right, that's where that's where I'm going to take the uh, belief away. Jordan Hicks. How about this? We all advocated for them to DFA him, cut ties. Credit to him, credit to the team. In his last nine outings... He's gone 10 innings and has 21 strikeouts with just eight walks. He's allowed six hits with 21 strikeouts in his last 10 innings. Circle of trust? I mean, we're getting close. He's been outstanding recently. Opposing hitters are now batting just 210 against Tennessee Cabrera. He has a career-high 35% strikeout rate this year, in large part due to that slider that Tanner's told us a lot about over the last couple of weeks. That's five guys that they have decided to hold on to that some— maybe even many, said "Mm, might be time to either cut ties with them or trade them for a different kind of an asset. Credit where it's due. Cardinals stuck by their guys, and they are getting the best out of them right now. And it's impactful for a team that wants to compete to have these types of players. And I think you brought it up during a commercial break last week, T-Bone, of... And I'm going to separate the pitchers from the hitters in this aspect. And Nolan Gorman's in his own entity because he was a top prospect or one of those top prospects. But I do feel like the Cardinals fall into the trap of holding on to these guys too long. And really the peak, the ceiling for them are contributions rather than legit guys. If you know what I mean by that, like you're not holding on to players like Nolan Gorman is this guy where you're like, yeah, you held on to him to be a impactful bat in your lineup. But Lars Nupar, as much as I believe that Lars Nupar is going to be one of those bats, if the dip happens, are we talking about like a Dylan Carlson, who's an awesome complimentary piece, but that's the most you're ever going to get out of him. Those are the guys that I wonder if you hold on too long, sure. if you're the Cardinals. But on the pitching side of things, this is where it benefits them to hold on to these guys where, yeah, we're out on. And I was one of the more outspoken ones saying like, yeah, I think it's time to cut ties with Jordan Hicks. He's shown me out. I mean, he has gone out and he has performed. And you not cutting ties with him shows the ability for the Cardinals. It's like, look, let's let's hold on to these pitches. It gives you more faith in these types of guys. I will say this on, on the Jordan Hicks front for all the crap the front office is getting. And I think it's fair on, on what's gone wrong in the rotation, how the rotation's just been a disaster this year. 
Credit where it's due over the last handful of years, they've done a nice job of identifying pitching, whether it was bringing in Wade LeBlanc or it was bringing in Jay Happ or John Lester, uh, acquiring Jordan Montgomery, who's been the one pitcher that's been really good and mostly consistent for the Cardinals this year, to now sticking with Jordan Hicks, deciding not to uh, non-tender Chris Stratton, allowing him to be in this bullpen. And he's been awesome, and we're not even talking about him because he's just kind of the eighth guy out there in the bullpen. Um, They've done a nice job in terms of identifying pitchers that can help them at the major league level and not giving up on Jordan Hicks belongs in that category because then moving him to the first base side of the rubber, I went, yeah, right, okay, this dude can't throw strikes, and now he can. Now he's legitimately awesome, and part of that credit to Jordan Hicks as well. Uh, But in terms of on the bats – I'm glad you said what I brought up, I think it was last week during break, of, you know, sometimes I think they stick too long with these kind of complimentary pieces. Dylan Carlson, for example. Brendan Donovan, kind of the same way. I don't think he's ever going to be a star. He's always going to be a really good player. But Gorman and Newpar, I think you need to give them more of a leash because what, though I, I was adamant of moving Newpar in the offseason because I didn't buy what they were telling us, I'm starting to lead more that way. But you can see their ceilings. You can see Newpark can be a guy that can get on base at like a 370 clip. He can hit for uh, power. He can hit for average. Great defensively. Nolan Gorman, maybe not so much the defender, but has 40 home run potential power. May not hit for a ton of average, but he Could can on a really good year. You, but playing second base. Like that's, there's real value in that. Exactly. And that is worth saying, hey, you know what? Let's give it a bit of a longer leash, especially if you're going to go into the offseason and say, Hey, we can fill the catcher void. We'll give Contreras that deal, even though they moved him from that spot, which they shouldn't have, and they're backtracking. But I, I think those are the kind of guys you give a longer leash to. But I do think when you get to players like O'Neill, who I think they've given this leash to, he's had over a thousand plate appearances now. I wanted to get to him. Now's the time that they should be looking to move on from him. Agreed. So he's the guy that I wanted to get to because I think the closest comparison for O'Neill is probably Jordan Hicks, honestly. Because when you look at what Jordan Hicks has been in his career, we mentioned this before he started this resurgence. He's been kind of the same guy over the last three seasons. It had been a long time since Jordan Hicks had been the guy that they seemed to be selling us on. And he's recaptured that form. Are you guys willing to wait it out on Tyler O'Neill? Are you guys willing to say, all right, one more chance. Because right now, I don't think they have a starting left fielder. Like an everyday starting left fielder. You could argue that it is Brendan Donovan, and if you trust Nolan Gorman to be an everyday second baseman, that's probably a pretty good argument to have. But other than that, like, I don't think I want Juan Yepes out there every day. In fact, I know I don't want Juan Yepes out there every day. Same. Not sure that I trust, at least right now, Alec Burleson out there on an everyday basis. He can catch the ball. I think your best chance to get an everyday left fielder is probably Tyler O'Neill. And we have seen when he's at his best, can be really good. It can be an MVP candidate. He's a guy that does have that capability of what you were just talking about, T-Bone, of being somebody that can carry you. But we also know for the vast majority of his career, that has not been who he is. There's basically like this one outlier season in 2021 where he was excellent. Every other season combined, he's been a below league average hitter. So you're basically having him out there to be pretty athletic and a good defender below average offensively. I think you can get more from that position by putting Brendan Donovan out there. But do you stick with him, Alex? Is that something you're willing to do? You get one last chance until Jordan Walker's ready. And when Jordan Walker is ready to return, which I would imagine is going to be closer to the trade deadline, then Tyler O'Neill, it's either the bench or a trade because you're not going, I'm not going to stick this out 
when I've got somebody who's ready to be back in major leagues. And right now, Newtbar and Carlson are getting those. Frankly, I think Brendan Donovan should be in the outfield every day for what we've seen in terms of his defensive performance and, of course, the bat. But I, I don't want to just say, yeah, get rid of him now because, frankly, I just don't know what you're going to get. And maybe you do give it one last shot to see if you can in- increase that trade value. But when Jordan Walker's ready, you're either performing and you're going to compete for a roster spot or you're gone because I'm not going to continue down this path of one more year, one more year, one more year, because then we know what this looks like. You're going to get it for maybe a couple of months when he's backed into a corner and you're clogging the hole from somebody else. I'm not giving another chance. Donovan's my starting left fielder when he comes back. And the reason I say that is because he's just too inconsistent. And I understand that there is that ceiling and you can look at 2021, and you said that you know he reminds you of, doesn't remind you of, but he's kind of the same spot as Hicks. I view pitchers differently because I, and especially relievers, because sure. relievers are a crapshoot. They they can be really good. They fluctuate all the time. Position players need to be consistent players to be really good major leaguers for a guy like Tyler O'Neill to be getting all these chances that he's been given, and he's not that. He's too inconsistent. He's had the one great year, and that is the blip on the radar. And I, I truly believe that is all it is. I, I think he's just going to be a guy that has power that's always going to be be viewed as a player that is going to be living off of that 2021 season to remain in the major leagues. I don't think he can get back to being that. I think you'll see signs of that at times, but he's not consistently enough. He's not consistent enough to be a guy that I'm saying he should be back out into starting left fielder for us when he comes off the aisle. To me, he's a fourth outfielder. I think they missed their chance to trade O'Neill in the offseason. I think there's a few different variables that come into this. First of all, what does Juan Yepes look like over the next week or we so? We saw it in Boston. If, if Yepes, not in the outfield, I should clarify oh, here. okay. What does he look like at the plate? Because if he's hitting at a high level, well, then I'm probably just going to continue putting him into the lineup against right-handed pitchers, and I'll put Brendan Donovan in left field. And, hey, for the time being, Tyler O'Neill, you're our fourth outfielder. Yeah. Another thing that could come into this is what's going on with Dylan Carlson. How hurt is he? Is it serious or is it just something that's going to be like a couple of days? He's pretty close to being back at 100% by the middle of the week and he's fine. Uh, If that ends up being the case, all right, well, that also plays into it. If he's like legitimately hurt, if that ankle is going to put him on the 10-day aisle, for example, and you end up with Lars Newbar in center field, maybe Brendan Donovan ends up in right, now Tyler O'Neill does have another opportunity created for him artificially by an injury. And that will allow him a little bit of runway here. So I think his playing time, it's weird to say this, given what we came into the season saying about him, his playing time is dependent on what those around him do. If those guys around him are hitting, Tyler O'Neill, you're my fourth outfielder for the time being. If they're not, though, it opens up one last chance for him to become the player that they thought he was going to be coming into the season. I think it really just depends on what those other guys do as of today. I think Brendan Donovan's a better option for you. I agree 100%. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trust wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. living under the water uh, uh, I can't hold my breath for very long so I'm out well, you've got a <laughs> dome like atmosphere where there's oxygen being pumped in uh, but you just happen to be living underneath the water I'd, I'd you're be, like in a submarine that is stationary 
I'd be in as long as it's not permanent. Can I leave my home in the water? I have, sure, if you want to. I have, okay. a, I have another follow-up question. How deep underwater are we? Can I, like, still see the sunshine no, from looking out the window? 30 foot deep. Oh, I'm in. Oh, yeah. that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, I'm in. Reason I ask is because a gentleman just broke a record. Joseph Dirati, 74th day living in an undersea lodge situated at the bottom of a 30 foot deep lagoon oh, in I Key could, Largo. I could break that record. Oh, easily. He is considered, quote, Dr. Deep Sea. Oh, I'm so taking that title. Now, what goes into his lodge is there proper plumbing. I mean, it looks, based on just the, the brief photos that I can see here, it, it looks like it's your typical like home. It just happens to be underneath the water. I, do you have Wi-Fi? <laughs> oh, that is a good question. I'm not sure on that one. I would assume you could get a hotspot down there. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I, I would think like you have to have Wi-Fi. This isn't even that hard of a record. Yeah. Now, if there's no, if there's no Wi-Fi, yeah, sorry. That's a really yeah. hard record. I need proper plumbing, which I'm assuming plumbing is just goes out into oh, the no, water, I mean, which is terrible. Even if you don't have plumbing, just go for a quick swim. That's the world's biggest bathroom out there. <laughs> Do your business. Come back in. And right there he, is why he I doesn't like- leave. He exclusively stayed, well, at least so yeah. far, because he had to stay inside yeah, to break this record. You can't be doctor it's under the sea stuff, if you're not honest. staying. He said, the one thing that I miss the most about being on the surface is literally the sun. The sun has been a major factor in my life. I usually go to the gym at five and then I come back out and watch the sunrise. While I'm down here, I don't have the opportunity to do that. What are you talking about? You can literally watch the sunrise every day in your dome-like home. I'm assuming he doesn't have like, uh, what's the word? Clear glass of straight above him. Not like in a glass bubble. No, it's like, I can still do this. It's essentially an underwater stationary submarine Look, is what this see, we gotta contraption change it'd be like. worth it though just so i could be labeled as a doctor somebody said there is absolutely no way bk could do this you are 100 percent correct sir oh yeah BK. No now if this chance. was in a pool bk would be all over it i would be willing or able to do this uh, no he could not do a pool. chance first of all my ears would be going crazy like i whenever you dive down to the bottom of the surface yeah bottom of the surface not 30 feet 30 feet is Way further than the bottom of a pool. Well, yeah, it's seven yeah, feet. But, yeah. Now imagine going another 25 feet down. My ears would be popping like crazy, man. Yeah, I, don't I don't need that in my I life. I don't think your ears would pop that much going that far down. Say, what do you mine, mean? Mine typically Have you ever gone pop like, in the pool? They do or don't? They don't. Mine don't. Mm-mm. Oh, well, mine do. You might need to get your ears checked, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's mine. mine. Everything's those, fine. Those petite glasses might be squeezing <laughs> oh, the head too tight. On. I would love to do this if they if it wasn't like if it was submarine like if it was like yeah. glass, which I think there are resorts like There's that where hotels it's glass. That are that yeah. way. Those that's, sound really yeah. cool. I, I'd love to do that. That's where I'd be. But again, if I could be, if I just got to stay underwater for 76 days in this and to no be labeled sun? a doctor, I'm in. Oh, I'm already a doctor. Give me Wi-Fi and proper plumbing, and I'm in. I already got doctor title. I just want to do it because it sounds cool. You can get a nice swim in, although I guess you can't get out. You could just pretend to be swimming. I guess if you if you didn't care about the record, you could get out, go in and out as you please. Uh, I want the record. I'm not doing this for just fun. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Matchmaker Monday. Alex has some profiles for us. T-Bone, get ready. We will decide if we are into them or not. We'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, the Cardinals took advantage of the new rules over the weekend. I've got some questions about it. We'll We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Contreras does. He's got a foot out of the box waiting for the pitch clock to trickle down. Jansen wants to work quickly. Wilson waits and the umpire has warned Jansen now twice. He can't start your motion until he's facing the batter or facing the pitcher. He's trying to slow Kenley Jansen down here and he's done that. Now Contreras in the driver's seat. Three balls and a strike. And he did it again. Jansen does it twice in the sequence. Contreras draws a walk without a pitch being thrown. And the Cardinals have the tying runs on. And Kenley Jansen doesn't understand what he's doing wrong. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was a big piece of the game over the weekend as the Cardinals were once again able to get to Kenley Jansen. Wilson Contreras got in his head. That was the second batter of the inning. He walks Goldie, then walks Wilson Contreras with only two of those balls coming on actual pitches. The other two coming on pitch clock violation. Alex, they were going into that inning down three to one. They had been completely dominated for the first through the eighth inning by Chris Sale. And they, then they find a way to get to Kenley Jansen for the second straight night, end up winning that game four to three. That inning was wild. And specifically the way that Wilson Contreras was able to get into Kenley Jansen's head. That is something I don't know that we've seen so far this year. Contreras will try that occasionally. We saw that a little bit against Mad Bum, and it got into Mad Bum's head. Mad Bum started yelling at him, oh, and then yeah. we saw how that went. Chad Jennings of The Athletic um, wrote about this over the weekend, and he said that the new pitch clock rule states that a batter must be alert and ready to hit by the time there are eight seconds left on the clock. The pitcher cannot throw that pitch until the hitter is deemed to be ready by the umpire. And that's what happened there on those two violations. And there was also a warning that was given to him as well. He was pitching before they determined that Wilson Contreras was prepared. Here's what it sounded like on the Red Sox post game show as they broke down that situation between Contreras and Kenley Jansen. It almost seems like this was a plan by Contreras to throw off his rhythm. He would step in the box as late as he possibly could, knowing Jansen likes to come set super early because he works so fast. And it almost causes this this violation. It, it, it seemed like he was doing it on purpose. And it feels wrong because there's still eight seconds on the clock. But if he's set before he's ready to hit, that's the rule, and again, which I, I, I think is ridiculous. If they figured something out, th- this is the big leagues. The games cannot be decided on stuff like this. I get it's the it's the rule, but can there be a tweak? Like he's looking at the pitcher. What what's the issue? I'm so confused by that. Like, what are you talking about here? Like, I do think it is. It is definitely a loophole that Wilson Contreras was able to find in this. Yeah, it's a loophole that probably shouldn't have even happened. I mean, even Wilson Contreras said after the game, he's like, the first one kind of caught me by surprise. And then I tried it on the second time and it worked again. Like this was all about Kenley Jansen not paying attention to the batter. Jansen even said it after the game. He said, I was looking at his bat, his head, his hands, and he was set. Guess what, Kenley? There's another part to the body that's important for the rule. Can there be a tweak to it? No, he's following the rules. If the batter is not in the box, ready to go, if his feet are not in there, you cannot start the motion. And Kenley Jansen started the motion every single time. I love Wilson Contreras for that. Everyone's playing checkers, and he's out here playing chess. And, and the part I hate about that comment is he says, well, you know, that that's where everything went off the rails, or that's what caught, that shouldn't be what defines a game. Well, 
Jansen can get everybody else out. Like, <laughs> there was only one batter. It wasn't a walk-off pitch violation. Jansen can, you know, perform and get guys out and end the game and the Red Sox win. So, yeah, and I think I, we're forgetting that the next two pitches after that violation were balls that walked Wilson Contreras. Yeah, so I have no sympathy for it. And though, is it kind of a, is it a loophole? Yes, but I, I understand why it's there, and it was all... I, I have no issues with the way that everything was handled. I think Contreras is smart for doing it, slowing down pitchers who can definitely feel like they're speeding up hitters. Right. And hitters have said, I think hitters are the ones that are adjusting more than the to the pitch clock because they feel uncomfortable staying in the box, and they are sped up sometimes to get back in the box. So I, I like what Contreras did, slow things down, get Jansen out of rhythm. Jansen has to learn to adjust to that kind of stuff, though. Well, And if Jansen waits on Contreras, the violation's on Contreras, and that's a strike against him, correct? Yeah, if he waits too long, if Jansen's yeah. set ready to pitch and Contreras' foot does not enter that batter's box with what eight seconds on correct, the pitch clock, yeah. it's a it's strike. Contreras. So, so Jansen, wait three more seconds until he gets set, and guess what? If he doesn't, that's to your advantage. Big picture, I'm not sure. I love this. <laughs> oh, I, I do think that it is a significant loophole in the rule book. I also don't know how you fix it. Like, I, I do think this is one of those scenarios where there's not an obvious fix and it's just going to be something that pitchers have to deal with. Um, micro, though, we, we, if we want to look at specifically just what happened to that game, man, I love that the Cardinals were taking advantage of the rules as they are written. This is something that I thought we would see more of by the Cardinals this season. They were running more this weekend. I thought they got more action going on the base paths. I loved the way that Brendan Donovan, this was a little thing as well, um, on that hit by Alec Burleson that ended up resulting in a game-winning run. The error that was caused there was forced by Brendan Donovan's base running. First, he avoids the tag, which is something that you should do. And then he stays in the base path and then like basically gets in the way of the throw until the very last second and ducks making it a more difficult throw for that guy that's trying to turn the double play. It's just a really smart base running play by him. These little things that we had been talking about all season long, they became big things early on where the Cardinals did not have a margin for error to be able to make up for the little things that they were doing the wrong way. Man, over the weekend, we saw them doing all of those things the right way. You started seeing some of those bloop singles that it felt like were going against the Cardinals every single game. They're starting to drop now for the Cardinals. The regression is starting to hit the Cardinals in a good way. And so when I see this from Wilson Contreras, I see the base running from Brendan Donovan, the play that he made in left field over the weekend, uh, some of just the little things that the Cardinals were able to get going their direction, whether it's good fortune, the baseball gods looking down on them, whatever it is, it's starting to feel more like Cardinals baseball again. And so when I watched Wilson Contreras do that at, in the micro of just watching the Cardinals win a baseball game, I was like, this is freaking awesome. I love what he's doing here. And the macro of what it means for the game, I'm not sure that's what they intended for the pitch clock, but I like that the the Cardinals were one of the teams that was able to take advantage of the rules as written. I just like that they're thinking in different ways right now. Like Absolutely. they're not thinking of, oh, we got to hit home runs if we want to win baseball games. Like there's there's minor pieces in the game that you're thinking. And frankly, that's what I love about Wilson Contreras because he knows how to get into people's heads. I mean, whether it was the Madison Bumgarner thing where you frustrate a pitcher and then you beat him up for it or Kenley Jansen and you you ruin his entire outing, that's what Wilson Contreras is doing. And I think that's an important factor for this Cardinals team where it's not just the one way of, oh, yeah, you got a slug, baby slug. No, there's there's little pieces that go into the game that can get underneath the other team's skin. And when that take takes place, like that's the mind game of this. When you get under their skin, you've got them. It goes back to the Pat Maroon. You guys are bleeped in the playoffs against Boston. 
You knew you had him in that situation. I think when Wilson Contreras is doing this, more guys doing this on the team, you start to beat the other team internally, and then externally the results work for you. Yeah, if they're not, if the Cardinals aren't a fundamentally sound team and, and not trying to find these little edges as possible, like uh, the toe touching the front part of first base when they're running to first or running through second base on very close yeah. plays out there, it, it's tougher for them to find ways to win because offensively they need a little bit of that edge because they have to outscore their pitching problems. Uh, defensively, they have to be fundamentally sound and make great plays because they're going to need to get everything right to help this pitching staff out. Like, this is kind of Cardinals baseball and all the mantra that's around the Cardinal way. This is it. Finding those little competitive advantages that they they can take to their advantage and see watch the rest of the league catch up to them. I saw over the weekend, I think it was the Padres and Dodgers game I was watching. First time I'd see another team try that toe barely touches first base when running yeah. over there. And that was something that the Cardinals really started preaching to be a thing that they kind of developed and trying to get an edge when getting down the line. Uh, Ollie Marmol has been big on that. Like he, For all the talk of all oh, the little things have gone away under Ollie. Well, no, that, that thing that Tanner's talking about there is something that he specifically, I've watched him work on that with Paul Goldschmidt. And then Goldie ended up helping out with, I think it was Donovan and Gorman that were running the bases with him over at first base as well. It's, it's something that they preach, and they work on it every single day prior to game. So uh, these little things do matter, and right now the Cardinals are finally doing them in a way that is building up into wins. When the margin for error is so small against these teams that you're going up against right now because the Cardinals are not clicking on all cylinders, that's when those little things start to matter in a really, really big way. Cardinals back in action tonight against the Milwaukee Brewers. It'll be Jack Flaherty on the mound. Wilson Contreras behind the plate. We'll talk about all of that with Katie Wu coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, Alex has put together some dating profiles for us. Get ready, Tanner. It's a matchmaker Monday here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about 10 minutes, we're talking to Katie Wu, the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She just finished up a big weekend for the Cardinals on the road in Boston. She also went to Chicago as well. She'll be at the Paul Park later on today for the Brewers versus the Cardinals, the first game that we are expecting. Wilson Contreras to be back behind the plate for the Cardinals tonight. But right now, I want to talk a little bit about the Blues because, Alex, there's a lot of national attention now that is shifting from the playoffs over to the offseason because we are getting closer and closer to the conference finals being set. We've got one more that still needs to go, and then we'll know between the Kraken and the Dallas Stars who's going to be making it uh, to the Western Conference Finals. Everybody in St. Louis should be rooting on the Seattle Kraken. We're all Kraken fans. A, because they've got a bunch of former Blues on that team, and B... Because then you get a better pick in this year's third overall pick. So with that in the back of our mind, there's a lot of speculation on who's going to be traded, who's going to go where. And Alex has some dating profiles for us. He put together the work and we are going to decide if we are into these individuals or if we are out on these individuals. Let's play a game of Matchmaker Monday, Alex. We got some music for this. I think so. Yeah, we do. Ladies and gentlemen, let's see who we fall in love with. Tanner, BK, 
I'm ready to be swept off my feet. Put your Doug Armstrong hats on and see if you could fall in love with these individuals. All trade candidates. I'm not going to give you the names. You tell me if you're into it or not. Oh, hell yeah. And Let's I'll tell you if you if you uh, found the right match. So Let's it's start. a blind profile. This is, this a is blind like one. a blind date. This is like those old dating shows where like your back was to the wall and you don't know who you picked. You might have picked somebody who is a beautiful individual or you might have picked somebody who has a great personality. <laughs> Let's it. start with the defenseman. He's right-handed. Okay. He's. Can he play the left side? 26 years old. He has not played the right side before. He's strictly a right shot defenseman. Okay. Um, In his last three seasons, he's averaging about 19, 20 minutes a night. Okay. Plays the power play. Plays the penalty kill. Last season, he had 136 blocked shots. Pretty good. 50 hits. Wasn't a great season for him this year, although he did end it as a plus five with 49 points. But last year had 50 points and was a plus 30. Are you interested in this 26 year old right shot defenseman? No, uh, I don't need a right right shot defenseman because I like what I have right now with Colton Pareko and Justin Falk. And therefore, if you can only play the right side for me or if you haven't played the left side in your past, I'm not interested in any right shot defenseman. Honestly, I don't need to upgrade on that side of things. I need to upgrade the left side of my defensive core. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm interested because I agree with BK. We really need someone on the left side. The right side, you got Pareko, you got Falk. And unless you're moving Pareko, which they're not going to do, we talked about earlier. I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing this. Fit. Uh, and I should have also mentioned the cap, so I should have said that 4.5 mil for the next three years. He's locked. It up could in. have been one mil. I wouldn't okay. have done it. Well, you just <laughs> passed on Calgary Flames, Rasmus Anderson. Hey, that was T Bone's uh, guy that he told so, us about earlier Tanner, today. Congratulations, I you knew, just wiped away your first true love. Let's go another defenseman though. This defenseman, he also shoots from the right side. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see if we can fall in love with this individual who's 24 years old. He was drafted in the second round back in 2018. He can play the left side. Uh, He is standing at a total of six foot three, 205 pounds. Like that. He's played only two years in the NHL, but in the last two seasons, he's averaged 19 minutes and 42 seconds of ice time. Now, the plus minus doesn't look great, but it's because he's strictly been used as a third pairing defenseman. He can do the penalty kill, doesn't do much power play, but frankly, there's not really a spot for him on this team. What do his hits look like? To do the power play. Tell well, I'm glad you asked that. Over a two year span, he's got 142 total hits. Okay. Blocked shots, he's got 263 uh, of them. That I though. like. He's willing to lay it all on the line. Yep. And for salary cap purposes, which I forgot to do on the other side of this one. You would be acquiring somebody who's locked up for one more year at 1.7 mil and is a restricted free agent after next season. Are you interested in this defense? Right shot can play left side, though, right? Yes. Can he be? Can, is he a penalty killer? He's a penalty killer. Can, can I ask you another follow up question Please. on this potential love of my life? Please. You'd love to take this one home. I'm thinking about it. I think I'm going to introduce this guy to my mom. Oh, um, my gosh. Well, I'm not going that can far. You, can you tell me, has he played for a good or a bad team? He has played for a good team that made the playoffs this year. All right. I'm I in. think I'm in. I think I'm willing me. to give this a shot at least. Like I'll explore it. Maybe we go out on a couple of dates together. We'll probably go to like a, a Chipotle the first time around. Don't want to spend too much <laughs> money God, on it. You're taking them to Chipotle. You're going to ruin them. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what it looks like from there. Maybe we go somewhere a little nicer. He's the second a loser one. in this. Go, go over to the hill. <laughs> I just don't want to spend an exorbitant amount on he it, but I'm loser. interested. All right, Tanner. I'm interested. I'm not going to take him to Chipotle though, even though he's got to stay in great take shape. Take him to We're a nice gonna, Italian restaurant. Yeah, like Olive Garden. Garden. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> We're going to go get some fine Italian. We're going to drink some wine. I'm in. Drum roll, please, ladies and gentlemen. 
Sean Dursey is his name. Who? Huh? <laughs> Sean Dursey from the L.A. Kings. That sounds like someone that has a uh, photo of them not on their profile picture. <laughs> well, he uh, he has been a guy who has been primarily a third pairing defenseman. Um, but with the guy that have Drew Doughty and a couple of other Mikey Anderson on that team, there's not really a spot for him in your top four. But there might be on your team. How do you feel about your decision? I, I'll be totally honest with you. I don't know a damn thing about Sean <laughs> Look at your advanced Every, statistics. Everything that you said about him, though, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely feel like I'm being catfished. He, he might have been. He's a 50-50 split in terms of offensive versus defensive zone start. So he's a guy that the LA Kings might not be able to keep because of their contract situation. Okay, I'm so, interested. I mean, he's worth bannying about yeah. a little bit more. Okay, well, now we're going to move over to the forward side. I got uh, three more individuals for you if you'd oh, like I to like walk this down game. this path. It's All right, uh, so let's... Let's start with this 26 year old right winger. He's six foot, 208 pounds. Been on a struggling team over the last few years, but this individual may be a down year, but consistently is a 20 plus goal scorer. He's a net front presence. Okay. He's got a great past. And he is a feisty individual. If you want numbers, he's got 192 hits over his seven-year career. Does oh, over block his seven-year career. Okay. Yeah, seven-year career. Uh, I thought you were saying last year. I was like, damn. No. Doesn't take face-offs, but he averages about 18 minutes a night. Projects on a team that is competitive. A top six forward for you. What did you say his numbers were in terms of the points, goals? So overall, uh, he has 311 points. Oh, in like three, on a per year basis. Oh, on a per year. Okay. So last year, 18 goals and 37 assists. If you're going to average it so out for him, we're talking about 50 points. He's kind of like a yeah, he's Brandon Saad type of player. He's about producer. a 55 point player with about 20 to 23 goals per season type of player. Yeah, you can take down the bed, Tebow. I don't even need any follow up questions. I'm out. Wow. I'm out. Oh, you don't want the cap hit? You're out yeah, no matter I, what? I want to know the cap hit. I okay. The intrigued. reason why is because I don't need a right winger. I know what my right side's looking like next year. Yeah, I don't This guy I, seems fine, but I don't need to add a Brandon Sutton. 6.6 so- mil oh, next I'm year. Out. Yeah, I'm out. Oh. We don't even need to go to dinner. All right. right. Ladies and gentlemen, you just tossed out of your dating life, Brock Besser. Oh, wow. God. Yeah. Get him out of here. Interesting. Yeah. I can't believe Do you feel I was... disappointed in that? Yeah, I feel like <laughs> just turned down an opportunity to date like you just just Galbraith. You something. just could have dated somebody really good, and you turned it down. Yeah, uh, I mean, looks good, but apparently the personality sucks for Brock Besser. Yeah, I mean, when be, you look uh, under the hood, you're like, ah, man, I'm. I guess I'm actually not yeah. all that interested. You, you take him to Chipotle; he's probably turning you down. Nah, he's getting the McDanks treatment. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the next uh, one. Honestly, yeah. When I look under the hood a little bit, I realize I'm not actually that interested in Brock Besser. Yeah, I mean he's he's struggled with a team that has struggled, and, and of course you have. But to, they've had good seasons, and he's been just okay. Yeah, uh, his best season was the year that the Blues played them in the first round and lost. I, that COVID shortened year. I mean, he was dominant that year for them. I think he had 30 plus goals that season. But again, I mean, he's got issues. But he also is the one I believe his father passed away last year, and so that probably weighed heavily on him. Let's move on. Oh, here we go. Number three, All right. four. Uh, this is a younger individual. Oh, good. He I'm was young. selected top five in the first round of the draft. 22 years old. He's a winger, not a centerman, but he is a winger. This year was his best year. He's 21 years old. He put together 18 goals, 22 assists, was a plus 12. This is a power play guy. This is a guy who is not overly physical. But he's also a guy that Prospect Reports has on him when he was drafted. Can make something out of nothing anywhere on the ice. He's a restricted free agent. Actually, I'm sorry. He's got 
one more year at $2.1 million, and then he's a restricted free agent. Would you like contestant number four? I thought I knew who this was, but now I'm second guessing it because the guy that I thought it was was is a RFA this year. Yeah, I'm kind um, of intrigued. How many I'm intrigued. You said it's a right winger, though. It's a right winger. Power play points. He over his. So he had three power play goals this year. Oh no, that's assists. He had uh, zero power play goals this year. Okay, uh, and not even interested. strength yeah, guy. I'm out. Um, yeah, not a lot of whole power play points. He's got five power play goals in his career and 16 power play assists. What's a big reveal? Who is this? This is Capo Caco from the New York Rangers. Oh, Oh, interesting. The name better than the game, The name better than the game. Second overall draft pick. Interesting. Do we have one more? We we? have one more before we get to Katie Will. All right. I'm I'm starting to wonder if we're too picky. (laughs) We might be. This individual... It's always been T-Bone's problem. Has been in the National Hockey League for eight years, and in those eight years, he has played for six different teams... Damn. He is a guy who stink. his best year was 28 goals back when he was 23 years old. This year, he put I together 18 goals for the team before he was traded at the deadline. This is an individual who does not shoot the puck a lot. This is an individual who is okay in the faceoff dot. All right. I've heard enough over his career. He has 303 hits and 257 blocked shots. And in his career, he has a total of 512 penalty minutes this year in the playoffs. He already has 36 penalty minutes. So he's in the penalty box a lot. Does not typically play the penalty kill. Can be on the power play, but usually as the second power play unit. Because I know you love advanced statistics, BK. His defensive zone starts. 45% 45% okay, of so the time. All right, defensively. Um, his career, he's 38.4%. He's a faceoff guy? He is typically in his career faceoff percentage 48.3%. But does he take him a lot, is what I'm asking. Uh, yeah. Primarily a uh, faceoff guy. I'm took off at least five, interested. Took 510 faceoffs. Yeah, well, I, I'll, we can talk. I think this is more of a like, let's, let's chat a little bit. Let's get coffee. Yeah. Can, I know you guys love plus minuses. He was a minus 15 this season. Uh, last year, he was a minus 18. In the playoffs, he's a minus 6. Yeah, might might get some upshot out in St. Charles for for yeah, some no, coffee. No. But then, upshot? What's upshot? Unless What's I got a, a, unless I got a oh. coupon, then we'll go out. But uh, I don't <laughs> got one. This? so uh, I, this is an unrestricted free agent, by the way. He is Max Domi. Uh, yeah, I passed. Yeah. Yeah. 29 years old. I think um, I'm still single at the end of probably this. Probably paying him $4 million. Not really pretty. Ross Colton coming up Ladies next. Ladies and gentlemen. Katie Wu here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It's been a while since we've been able to come in on a Monday morning and have a positive discussion about the St. Louis Cardinals, which means it's been a while since we've been able to enjoy our discussions <laughs> with Katie Wu of The Athletic. But we can do exactly that as the Cardinals have won six of their last seven and sweep the Boston Red Sox over the weekend. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. Hope your travels went well today. How are you doing this afternoon? Guys, I'm doing well, you know, and I feel like if this would be the first time this season where if I offered this show a vibe check, you guys would pass it. I know it's kind of hard not to when you look at what the Cardinals were able to do over their last road trip. Again, going five and one, first sweep of the series or of the season, sweeping Boston over the weekend. Overall, just collectively better baseball, and I think that's refreshing for all parties, right? 
Yeah, but if you did a vibe check here, Katie, I think one oh, person would have the positive vibe, oh, and then God. two people would be like, meh, there's still a little more to prove. Mostly Katie, if you had to guess who the positive vibes are coming from, who would you guess that would be? I'm going to, you know, not the, not my usual pick, but I feel like BK has some positive right. vibes this week. Yeah, well, BK's had positive vibes in the first month of the season. Every week we'd show up on Monday and be like, this is it, boys. <laughs> this is the homestand where they get it right, and then we all know what took place after that. I had like a that. three-day stretch where things went really far yeah. south for me, and that was like... It, when they lost against Detroit regularly. Yeah, he was in the dumps and then said, <laughs> I'm out. And then, of course, he shows up today and says they're winning 90-plus games. Katie, where are you at on this team? Like, obviously, it is an incredibly small sample size. They still have the worst record in the National League as of today. So, like, it, it's totally reasonable to say I, I need to see a little bit more. But where are you at today on the St. Louis Cardinals? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the record and the overall body of work over the first six weeks, and no one is, like, screaming and happy about it, right? The Cardinals still are nine games under 500. They have a long way to go. But I thought the way that the guys are breaking down the rest of the season is really smart. They're essentially saying, we have to forget about April because we can't change how those games went. We can't change how much or how little success we had during the first month of the season. But we can control what the next five months look like. So, yes, the Cardinals have a significant hole to kind of chip away at for the rest of the season. But I thought it was so imperative for this club to go into the road and show some resolve and show some grit. And for me, it wasn't just that they won games. It was how they won games, especially in Boston. I mean, we saw back-to-back comeback wins in different regards in the first and second game of the series. We saw some offense coming along in the Chicago and Boston series. Nolan Arenado found his swing. You can make the argument if it's sustainable or if it's just a really good, uh, you know, burst of offense. There are certainly things the Cardinals need to improve on, but... I thought they went into the, the uh, road trip, and if they went 500, I would have taken that as a win. The fact that they went 5-1 and one is super encouraging. Katie, the good news for the Cardinals is that they have figured out the issue with Wilson Contreras behind the plate, and they said he's fixed. Our toy is ready to be used now behind the plate with our pitching staff, so he goes right back there tonight with Jack Flaherty. Yo, this team, you know what? I'm a drama queen. I'm a, like, I can admit that. I really can. I think it's part of my personality, and I feel like I can pull it off. And I am left at a loss for words sometimes on this team's ability to take whatever situation is going on and take it to the exact, like, the most extreme level possible, <laughs> which is what this whole Contreras situation has been. Um, yeah, that's the elephant in the room, right? The Brewers are coming back for three games, or coming to Bush Stadium for three games. Cardinals have a chance to make up some significant ground in the standings. And Wilson Contreras, despite, you know, the club and the front office saying it was going to be a significant while before he was catching games again, I believe it's been eight days, possibly nine. Of course. He'll, uh, he'll catch Jack Flaherty tonight. You guys, I asked, you know, various parties, whether it was Ollie Marmol, Jack Flaherty, Wilson, if there was any significance in the pairing uh, with Jack today. And they all said no. I'm not sure I'm completely buying that. I think it's really important for Wilson and Jack to get on the same page, to their credit. They have all said the right things publicly, and I do think that meeting that Flaherty had with Wilson, with Adam Wainwright, with Ollie, really helped. Um, I, but, you know, it's, it's puzzling to me to understand why that was made such a big deal for the Cardinals to just nine days later revert course and put him back behind the plate. Uh, 
we'll see how it goes, right? Katie, here's the part that I don't understand with it. Like you, you essentially do what you do, and it starts with Jack Flaherty saying that we don't understand what they're calling with two strikes, which is pointing the finger at Wilson Contreras, and essentially saying our pitching staff is struggling because of Wilson. You say we're taking him out for a few weeks so that he can get right. Wilson Contreras says yesterday that you know the preparation's the same; he's the same guy, and now he's going back behind the plate with the pitcher that essentially called him out. So. The team has won six of their last seven with Andrew Kisner behind the plate. But now we're saying that it's not on Wilson Contreras, so he's going to go back behind the plate. If this happens in a loss tonight, I expect all hell to break loose with the Cardinals. I've been mentally preparing uh, for post-game, both for a win and a loss for about 48 hours now. But, (laughs) no, it's it's a good point, right? I think when, when you make such a big public ordeal, and maybe the Cardinals, for whatever reason, did not think that moving Wilson indefinitely from behind the plate was going to be a big deal. You know, I don't know why they would think that, but maybe they did. Um, maybe they were unaware of the, of the backlash this would have or the ripple effect it would have throughout the industry. But when you make such a public statement and you have Jack, who is supposed to be, you know, one of the top guys in your rotation, you know, has not performed up to expectations at all really this year. And there seems to be that sort of disconnect. You need to address it, of course. But the way that this has gone about has just been almost tiring. Uh, and so we'll see. We'll see what goes on with Wilson tonight and going forward. Ollie Marmel said, you know, all the roles are, are back how they should be, right? You know, Wilson's going to catch for the, for the foreseeable future. They'll work in Kisner and some reserve starts. And honestly, we should probably be singing some praises for Andrew Kisner and what he's been able to do. I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, but how we evaluate the pitching staff and the catching staff going forward now, I think, is going to be really heightened just based on the last 10 days of speculation and controversy that the Cardinals really, all parties, brought on themselves. So, We'll see how how Jack fares. Um, you know, he hasn't had the best couple of starts lately. Not quite sure we can pin it all on the catcher or all on the pitcher. I think it's obviously a combination of the two. So we'll see how those two work tonight. Katie was our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can read her work over at The Athletic. You can also follow her on Twitter. She's at Katie J. Wu. She had a couple of pieces this weekend from Boston. One on Nolan Gorman, one on Nolan Arenado. I want to get to Gorman, but let's start with Arenado because I feel like this weekend was the first time that we've really seen him feel like he broke out, had a home run in all three games, was hitting the ball hard all weekend long. And it was kind of a continuation of what we saw at Wrigley. Uh, Katie, and you're talking with Nolan Arenado, your time being around this team over the last week or so. Do you think he is all the way back or is he still kind of working his way into getting back to being the MVP candidate that we saw last year? Yeah, good question. I mean, it's no secret that what Nolan was putting together in April and early May was probably one of the worst stretches of his career. He just looked completely lost, like a shell of himself. And he wore both his personal performance and those losses so personally. Because when you are Nolan Arenado and you are the one of the faces of the franchise, you know, you're a catalyst of the offense, you, you take those losses personally because he felt like, you know, he was contributing to them in such a dire way. And you're seeing what this offense looks like when he's clicking, and it's a completely different offense. You know, for Nolan, it's all about feel. He's one of the best players, I think, in, in his generation, uh, certainly a Hall of Famer. And I think that he's more or less has figured it out because his whole time he was searching to figure out what was wrong. He knew it was a rhythm issue. He knew he was feeling out of sync. He went into Chicago working on some things with Turner Ward because he felt like he had an idea that it was something with his hands. They took extensive video. Finally, uh, after the end of the Chicago series, he was able to identify the hand issue and went in and made some changes and immediately saw the results. He laughed. He goes, you know, it's not always going to transfer like that, but I'm certainly glad that it did. Um, he likes hitting at Fenway. He likes aiming for the green monster, evidently with his three home runs over it <laughs> over the weekend. It's 
hard to hit be a pole, a pole hitter at Bush Stadium. We know this, but I think what we saw in Boston was a good sign that he's turned the corner. They'll have a good test against the Brewers. They got Freddie Peralta, Wade Miley, who up until his last start against the Dodgers looked to be one of the top pitchers in the National League. And we know how the Cardinals usually fare against Corbin Burns. So I think this will be a good test this Milwaukee series to see where exactly Nolan Arnato is and his return to hopefully contributing consistently in the heart of the order. And Nolan Gorman's going to be a big part of that as well, Katie. Wanted to ask you about him. You had a piece on him and his uh, contributions over the weekend. I, I expect to see him in the lineup tonight against Peralta. I will be curious to see how they handle him tomorrow against a lefty. And I know that's something that you talked about with Ollie Marmol. This is a guy that's on pace for 36 home runs this year. He very rarely sees the field against left-handed starters. And honestly, I think the positive side of that is what we saw on Friday and Saturday, where he can come in in a big spot as a pinch hitter when you need him, and he's able to deliver some big-time blows. Do you think we're going to see him more regularly, though, against left-handed starters in the not-too-distant future, Katie? Yep, great question, great points. And when I asked this question over the weekend, um, Ollie Marble couldn't help himself and is totally playful, but he just started busting out laughing and shook his head and he goes, I knew coming into the series you would be the one to ask this question. <laughs> I would have bet my house on it, and I like my house. So he's, he's clearly aware of the narrative with Nolan Gorman. And his rationale over the last, you know, two weeks or so really made sense on why Gorman isn't seeing a lot of the bats against left-handed uh, starters. They didn't really have any opportunity for him to do that with their self-inflicted roster jam of putting Contreras in the DH. You have to get at bats for Brennan Donovan. And Paul DeYoung, you actually really can't sit him right now. He's one of the best offensive players on the team. And when you look at the how hard it is to find consistent bats right now for players like Tommy Edmond, Juan Yepes, Alec Burleson, it made sense to sit Gorman because of the logjam. They have to play their other guys as well. And also, I think it's a great point, BK, when you have a lefty power hitter that can change the game with one swing. That is such a valuable asset to have on your bench. And we certainly saw the Cardinals reap the rewards not once, but twice in the last three days. But Ollie Marmel did acknowledge, you know, at some point we're going to have to see what Nolan Gorman can do against left-handed pitchers. That's not lost on him. That's not lost on the organization. Right now they feel like there's too big of a roster crunch to do that, but that is on their radar. You know, they're stressing a little bit of patience. He did take in a bat against a lefty reliever on Sunday. He walked. Uh, you know, baby steps. But for right now, the Cardinals are aware, you know, that they are eventually going to have to see what Nolan Gorman can do against lefty starters, but they feel like they don't really have the ability to do that with the way their roster is currently constructed. And, of course, he has been pretty splitty in his career. You have, you can't make the argument, well, how are they ever going to know if he's going to be splitty forever if they don't give him a shot? I think that's valid. But for right now, I can certainly understand why the Cardinals are playing Nolan Gorman the way that they are. We'll be reading your work, Katie, over on The Athletic as you cover this series, a a pivotal series for the Cardinals against the Milwaukee Brewers this week. Jack Flaherty on the mound tonight, and he will be throwing, of course, to Wilson Contreras, who is back behind the plate. Appreciate the time, as always. Thank you so much. We'll talk with you again soon, Katie. You guys, you got it. Thanks for having me. Talk soon. Absolutely. That's Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN. You can find all of her great work over at The Athletic and on Twitter, at Katie J. Wu. (laughs) To her point on Nolan Gorman, Guys, I, I know that everybody's mad about this. I, I'm not. Like you have options in your middle infield to go against left-handed pitchers that are just better options. Like, what are you doing with Tommy Edmond? You, you need to play him against left-handed starters, right? We agree. He's a better defender and, I mean, at worst, as good of a hitter against lefties as what you would expect out of Nolan Gorman. Yeah. And Paul DeYoung has been too good to sit on the bench. And so when you have those two guys as options against left-handed pitching, I have zero. I, I don't have it in me to get upset about this. I really don't. 
And then you've got either Wilson Contreras or Juan Yepes as options as a designated hitter against left-handed pitching. Again, both of those guys are just better options against lefties right now than what you have with Nolan Gorman. And when you have him coming off of the bench late in a game situation, you have the opportunity to see what you did on Friday or Saturday where he is the the best case scenario pinch hitter in a late game spot. It's basically what you had last year uh, early in the season with Albert Pujols against a left-handed uh, reliever. So it, it's just the reverse. I, I like the way that they've utilized Nolan Gorman. I'm not upset with it now, but I just, I, I want to know, is this only a guy who hits splits or is this a guy who could be uh, against both and have him as an everyday player? And if Paul DeYoung slows down, I think that's when we find out. Yeah. If or when that happens, because right now he's good defensively and he's hitting against everybody. If that stops, well, now you kick over most likely, I would say, Tommy Edmond to shortstop. You probably get Brendan Donovan back in at second base, and that maybe opens up an opportunity at DH or second for Nolan Gorman to find out what he can do. And the only other reason that I don't mind it, because yes, you have good options right now against lefties, but, and honestly, I don't even know if you need to find out. He, he'd struggled against left-handed pitching in the minors. Yep. And, and if he struggled in the minors, he's going to struggle here at the major league level against lefties too. And it's not the worst thing to have a day off every week. Yeah. Like he, he, it's That's basically what it becomes. What I would like give for one, a day off every week. One <laughs> day off every week. And he had you that. two, man. He eh, had that throughout the minors. Weekend. The way that the minor league schedule is organized is you got every Monday off. So I, I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing for him. Coming up next, uh, we've got a report from Bob Nightingale on why Wilson Contreras was pulled from the plate. You guys are never going to believe it, but our tinfoil Ferrario theories were correct. We'll Ooh. talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. show be sure to check out the podcast page 101espn.com and the free 101 espn app is where you go to find it. it's all presented by dobbs tire and auto centers coming up here in about two minutes or so we'll give you a four pack of tickets give you a chance to win a four pack of tickets to thursday night's budweiser bash for cardinals versus dodgers good game uh good series potentially to be able to get a four pack of tickets to go to we'll get to that here in just a moment but guys this comes from bob nightingale who reported this in his piece earlier today The reason for the Cardinals' decision to strip Wilson Contreras from his catching duties was quite simple. According to Bob Nightingale, the starting pitchers told management that they simply no longer wanted to pitch to him, at least not this season, after getting off to their dreadful start producing an ugly 5.4 ERA. The Cardinals uh, have won five of the six games since demoting Contreras, although the starting pitching has actually been worse with a 5.5 ERA with no starter up to the point of this piece, which I think released was yesterday, had gone past five innings. Contreras has now been given another opportunity on Monday when he is scheduled to catch struggling starter Jack Flaherty. So the big nuts of this piece are very simple. According to Bob Nightingale, the starting pitchers were the ones that got Wilson Contreras pulled from behind the plate. Alex, we said this earlier today. Of course that's the case. Of course it is. There's no other reason. There's no other real explanation as to why this would happen the way that it did, where it was ugly, they didn't seem to have a plan in place, and they just decided, you know what, willy-nilly, we're going to make this change. Let's go ahead and do this now. I think they wanted to prove to the pitchers that Wilson Contreras wasn't the problem. I think they wanted to say, okay, here, go ahead and throw to Andrew Kisner. He's 
he's had a lot of experience with you guys. He's considered to be a perfectly fine pitch caller. If you guys think that Contreras is the problem, let's see what happens when Kisner is behind the plate. And what happened was they were the same pitchers. Nothing changed because, of course, nothing changed. <laughs> they are who they are. It's not Wilson Contreras' fault that they're not missing or that they're missing their spots. Uh- I just I, I personally love that they use the the starting pitchers, but like let's break this down individually. Wayno pitched what one game to Wilson Contreras before he came back. Did he even get? One? I don't even think he got one in. Jake Woodford's not going to anybody complaining no. about a catcher. We know who this was. Steven Matz was the one that basically said to the media, I'm afraid to throw my curveball right now. And Miles, he also said, I'm taking ownership of it. Miles Michaelis in his last four games before they made the decision with Wilson Contreras actually was pitching very well. Meanwhile, another one had a 19 innings thrown and a 9.95 ERA. Hmm. But yeah, the starting rotation went to the management and said, hey, I don't want to throw to him anymore. Hmm. Wonder this, who that could be. This was the your supposed ace who didn't want to throw to Wilson Contreras because of the previous bad outing. And there's certainly no uh, symbolism whatsoever that Jack Flaherty is pitching to Wilson I Contreras. I can't wait for tonight. tonight. I hope he throws a complete game no-hitter. <laughs> What? A complete game shutout, a no-hitter, like, whatever. I hope he just absolutely dominates tonight with Wilson Contreras Maybe. behind the plate. Just Maybe. because you want to hear the post-game press conference. Amazing. Absolutely say, incredible. Wilson, what, a, what an incredible turnaround for him where Wilson yesterday said, I'm the same guy. I made no changes. And I must just be a really bad guy because I'm hoping for chaos. <laughs> Now is your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to this Thursday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus the Dodgers. This week's Budweiser Bash game features a limited edition Mike Matheny bobblehead. If you text in 314-399-9646 and you are texter number 101, you can tell us how far below sea level, below the sea, the person was that ended up spending more than 70 days underwater. How far below sea was he? If you have the correct answer to that in your text number 101, you are getting a four-pack of tickets to this Thursday night's Budweiser Bash. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. See who we fall in love with. Tanner, BK, I'm ready to be swept off my feet. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101. ESPN.